Hello everybody and welcome to the Alien vs Predator Galaxy podcast, the original Alien and Predator podcast. This is regular host Corporal Hicks, aka Aaron Percival. And this is co-host Ridgetop, aka Adam Zeller. And this is co-host AJ Bischoff, aka fucking voodoo magic man. <laughs> Very relevant. This is Xenomorphine, aka Eric Adams. Happy anniversary, Predator 2! Indeed. Yes. If you haven't read the um you know the news post the title of the podcast seen the cover picture if you have no idea what we're talking about if you've ignored everything indeed this this episode is predator 2's 30th anniversary retrospective 1990 i'd like to preface this that we're celebrating a hardcore masterpiece today filled with curses filled with sex drug use and gary Busey. so parental discretion the same thing Parental discretion is advised. It's all right. I am trying not to swear as much. I I am to that that one person. The algorithm that wrote is mean, in. dude. No, it, it was it was the person that wrote in about it. I still haven't replied to oh. him yet because I did not know how to go. Yes, okay. I swear too much. I will try to stop doing it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's easy to get in the habit of. But how exciting is this, guys? I mean, um, actually, before we continue, I would like to make a toast. Have a beer. Oh, uh oh, and I should have my label facing outward until they're. Uh... Oh, is it? Is it one of the predator ones? No, no, no. I just am oh. not paying us for advertising. Uh, actually, you know what? Go on, show it. Show it. All right, I'm still light. So uh, I'm, I'm still light. Great guys, if you want to sponsor the show, please hit us <laughs> up on podcast. The <laughs> official <laughs> beer of AVP Galaxy. <laughs> Great beers. I've never had one. But right here, I have my smart disc. Nice. I got that one. Metal bottle opener. So let me open this up real quick oh, here. He's, he's going to do his memorabilia show and tell yeah. here. <laughs> We're turning it into an unboxing video. <laughs> now you don't sorry, throw it. Sorry for our listeners here. You don't throw it at the beer, guys. You just take it on top, lift the cap off. And everyone at home, lift your drinks up if you don't have them. I got this Resident Evil G Fuel. It's a little there early here for me, but yeah. <laughs> Let's just say, uh, here's to Predator 2. Thank you for what you've done for this franchise. Thank you for making me a huge fan. And like me and Eric, it's timeless. <laughs> it ages like a fine wine. So happy 30th birthday, Predator 2. Thanks for the candy. Cheers. Indeed. Notice we didn't do this for Alien Resurrection. <laughs> hey, that's not true. We praised. We also said it aged pretty well, but we I think most people would agree with us on uh, that one. But this, this is because it's so um, is is upstaging me. Uh, AJ's upstaging me on on my predators love. Eric, look out! There's predators behind you. Oh, <laughs> background and everything. Yeah, for anyone who's not watching on YouTube, he has a um, predator background with the uh, grayback and two of his cohorts. I do. Go on, go on, uh, AJ. Which ones are they? Let everybody know. Show the love. That looks like the Borg, right? The Lost yeah, Predator. Borg on the right, Brother uh-huh. Boar on the left, and then Elder in the middle. Ah, look at Adam. Stay brother Brother Boar doesn't he have a different name? Yeah, doesn't doesn't he have a different name? The one with the same mask as the Boar, but not the Boar. Yeah. He's his body is like his skin tone's a bit more orange and white, and he doesn't have like the animal skin on his chest. I can't remember his actual name. We'll look that one. Frank. Up. Oh, and first, also for the anniversary, I have brought a certain blade. To oh, oh, nice. This is I think, you, think you're trying to scare me now, man. <laughs> I'm scared now. <laughs> <laughs> I could pay you $2 million in cash right now. 
<laughs> yeah, this is the uh, the blade that Goldtooth uses to kill Ramon Vega, the evil Colombian drug lord. Actually, I think he's called the Crack King. So yeah. there are three three blades, I think, that were made. One was real. You can actually stab someone with. One was a little harder than this. This one's rubber and had a blood injection tube. And this one's actually fully rubber. Is, is that an actual, is that a prop from, from the yeah. production? If you guys are familiar with the Planet Hollywood stores, they started closing all those uh, restaurants and stuff like that. Yeah, the, one, the ones where they have all the props all over the walls. Yeah. And, yeah. I think there's still a few left. I don't know if they've closed. Yeah. But it was a big thing. It was owned by Arnold and Bruce Willis and Stallone, right? I think. I think I think yeah. Stallone, yeah. Yeah. So they started closing all these restaurants and they started selling these props. And that's where I got Gold Tooth's knife. Did you just happen to see it in there and you're like, how much? <laughs> No, they were selling. Oh, was it? it was an online auction type. Two thing. million. Dollars. It was online. Yeah. It was online. But I have the Planet Hollywood certificate. It's signed by one of the co-owners of Planet Hollywood, behind the scenes businessman. And, so was that um, the one that actually stabbed the body that was hanging? Well, I think the real. Or did one, they use the real one on a fake body? No, I would no. imagine so. I think this is the one that they used around the actor who played Ramon Vega, you know, safely. And then they probably uh, stabbed them with the one with the two. And then the real one that you can actually kill someone with was probably just on his waist for show. So, but I do think this might have been one. So there were there were three. There were three. And that was the one he was kind of taunting him with. It was really quick, that scene. You hardly see the blade. Actually, when he unsheaves it, you don't even see it. You just hear the sound. And next thing you know, you see Goldtooth stabbing Ramon. So I guess the one with the the blood tube, probably the blade could retract back into the handle. Yeah, it's very possible. Yeah, but I'm excited to have it. Yeah, well, I bet, considering, you know, this, this film is your favorite of the Predator films. Yes. One of my favorite films of all time. So as as we always do with these things then, let's let's start off with first impressions, you know. Let's start off with the story the first time that we saw Predator Two and, and have feelings at the time and, and how they've they've evolved and nobody would be better to start this episode off with than you. So uh take us away, AJ. Right. So I'm one of the older folks. I saw Predator Two opening weekend. I was lucky oh, enough. Yeah. Yeah, I was lucky enough to be a kid in a theater, and I had seen Predator at the time. As an Arnold Schwarzenegger fan, I really liked it. I really dug it, but it never captured my heart. Not yet. But I believe going in, I was a little surprised, a little annoyed that Arnold wasn't back. Not as much as my friends. My my friends were pissed off. What? Arnold's not back? Forget that, you know? But I was curious, and I watched the film uh, in a three-screen multiplex, which was a big deal at the time, because a lot of theaters were just single theaters. So this one had three screens, and the lights dimmed, had my popcorn ready, and here the film starts, you know, and the camera starts tracking through the jungle, and it lifts, it lifts, it lifts to that Los Angeles cityscape, and the future, and boom, the title, and my jaw just dropped. Uh, this opening was amazing to me. It told me that this wasn't going to be some sort of hodgepodge, mad dash, cash grab of a sequel. This wonderful opening was a nod to the first film, taking me to the second film. And it was a signal to my young minds that care was being applied here, that it would be well thought out. And throughout that one hour, 48 minutes, I was like just totally taken on a roller coaster. And it was a ride for me. I I just loved it. And throughout those uh, 108 minutes, 
I fell in love with not another mindless, psychopathic monster that wants to kill for the sake of killing or wants to eat our human flesh, but a creature that was more than that. It was a complex being with a code, with honor, sorry, Aaron, with honor, with tradition, with history, with an ancient history. And when those lost predators let Mike Harrigan, let the hero live at the end after he killed one of their own and even rewarded him for it, I was hooked. I was just completely hooked. I always say, and I think I've said this before, I always say when the elder throws Harrigan the flintlock, I feel like at that moment he threw it to me as well. That was the precise moment where I became a hardcore Predator fan. Precise moment. And then the credits rolled, theater lights beamed, and I walked out that day with my mind racing and about this wonderful film, this fascinating creature. And here I am, you know, 30 years later, 30 freaking years later, still mesmerized, still in love with the film, love with the character. So Predator 2 was a huge impact to me. I feel the same way about it today as I do now. That's quite the recap. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> you've, you've been thinking about that one, haven't you? You knew yeah. that. You knew yep. that one was coming. That's all I got, guys. See you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. What well, What about you, Eric? Did you see it in the cinema? Oh no, no. I would have. Yeah, I was in high school at the time. My first memory of the film isn't of actually going to see the film. I never went to see it in the cinema myself. But it's one of the kids i think he was the oldest one in the class and he went to see it i assume with his parents and you know that word went around the class oh he's seen predator 2 predator 2 and i remember all of us sort of like ganging up around him what's it like what's it like what's it like? but it was like he said well it's it's all right but it's it's nowhere as good as the first it's not as good but there is sort of like there's some decent action sequences but it's not as good so like i was because i was more into like the creature feature aspect of it as so, well you know does it look the same and this that and the other so, yeah but it's i don't know just it's okay it was okay. It, and that was generally the thing that we all got from it. And we went, oh, and I remember all of us in the classroom sort of went going, oh, it's Predator. Okay. But I think all of us sort of like resolved we wanted to see it anyway. But there was that sort of disappointment already given. And I do remember on, on like, because this was before the internet, we had, AJ will probably remember this back then, it was more like reviews you heard on the radio or in magazines and stuff. That's what we all depended on back There was no ain'titcoolnews.com, nothing like that. But a lot of those were, like with Alien 3, a lot of those were giving the, it's an okay action film, but it's compared to the first, it's no this, that, and the other. A lot of them were mentioning the absence of Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I remember back at the time, I was thinking, I liked his character, but I wasn't too bothered about that. I want to know about The Predator. Fast forward, now I'm thinking it must have been one maybe two years probably one year my friend got it out on rental and we watched it together and we like we we watched that but i remember us really liking the action scenes like the slaughterhouse stuff and all the rest of it and like aliens back then because these were videotapes a lot of people were getting its vhs these were not dvd but i remember us sort of like not wearing it out but we were always 
was always going around his house and we were like fast forwarding to just the action sequence because we really love that and the trophy cabinet thing at the end. All of those things kind of proved timeless, but we did sort of come to realize we're only watching like half an hour of a film. It's meant to have all this rushing stuff, but it's because we were fast forwarding through that stuff and we were found like a lot of the kids in school who would watched it they were kind of doing the same thing because they weren't interested in the detective story and this that and the other they just wanted to see the predator on screen but i had a saturday job um in an italian restaurant i was cleaning stuff in the kitchen and i think it was either alien 3 or predator 2 which i remember being like the first film I bought for myself on video as opposed to have my parents buy it. So it's probably one of my first memories of Predator 2 is being one of the first films I bought as a fan. And then like friends would come around my house and watch it along with Aliens and things like that. So um, yeah, I would say most of my memories are of just being around my friends' houses or them coming to mind, watching the, the video, which were always fast-forwarding and rewind. And we, like, sometimes we watched it two or three times in sequential order. But it didn't have, like, the effect on me that the original one did the original one did it had more of that tension where if i remember when my friends watched it with me we wanted to watch it as a whole film and the, the thing about predator 2 it did have really great action sequences but it was the in-between parts we weren't really that bothered about the characters in it and I think more or less it stayed with me up to now, that same sort of feeling of it. But like now I can, like I'm more analytical about it. Back then when I was basically a high school kid, it was all about, yeah, predators and yeah, they got these new weapons and yeah, they got this, that and the other. But when you learn to appreciate a film as a film, you start to realize, well, why are we just fast forwarding? Oh yeah, it's because of this, that and the other. So yeah, I would say my first memories are of it being one of the first films films I owned I got for myself and of just it being more of like a social thing you went around a friend's house to watch it or they came around your house to watch it and that kind of thing and I do remember it but just being a, a disappointment compared to the first but I wasn't really understanding why I felt that way and it took me like the years when I was getting out like Giga's Alien and, and like doing analysis I, mean, I didn't realise it but I was doing film analysis it took me a while to realise why I was feeling why my friends were feeling that way it was later on that I came to understand well why are these reviewers on the radio saying it's kind of generic out with the creature stuff's good but the story isn't quite there and it took me a while to understand what did they mean by that because as a kid it's like you're into like back then it was like uh, the Sinbad film like all those Ray Harryhausen films it was just about the creature like Clash of the Titans and Star Wars and it was all about like starships and that kind of thing and it took me a while to understand like the nuances and narrative structure and things like that but yeah, my first memories were pretty much how great the action was. And also, I do have to say how great the music was. And that was another thing. It didn't trigger me initially. It wasn't until later that I got the soundtrack. And I understand that, yeah, this is actually an improvement on the musical score itself. Alan Silvestri did some really chilling stuff with that stuff, especially the um, the stuff when they're in the slaughterhouse and the bit that plays along where Harrigan sees the trophies. It's really quite hair-raising musical cues and all that stuff. Yeah, again, I would have to say one of the first memories would be of it being one of my first film soundtracks I bought for that reason. 
Yeah, so my views have kind of changed in terms of I understand why I felt certain things. That I, there are certain things I appreciate more these days that I didn't then. Um, but there are also other things that I go, yeah, that was a bit generic. Like there's a whole slew of alien references throughout the whole thing where when you're a kid, you don't realize and you think all oh, these like cameras in the helmets, they go, but it's clearly it, they hold basically copying the scene from aliens. But it works really well. Like when we did the Predators retro review a little while ago, and I think AJ was saying, well, it's got all these uh, homages and it didn't work for him for that. But like they kind of do them well enough that you don't mind. I think that applies to Predator 2 as well. The whole thing where they're copying the colonial marines thing going through the nest it's definitely a, a copying homage but you don't mind it because it's really well done so yeah that's that's my memories of it as i was then but it was a day before the internet it was a day before dvd it was vhs you had to rent it and um yeah adam what about yourself I did not see it in theaters as I was three years old. So it wasn't till a little bit longer after 1990 that I ended up seeing the film. I had been getting into the franchises with the video games and, and comics, mainly AVP on PC. And then AVP 2 is what really kind of kickstarted me into to the fandom. You know, visiting AVP Galaxy was a big result of me getting so into to AVP 2, but I had not seen really any of the movies at that point as I was getting into the franchises. Because I think it was about 2002 or 2003 was the first time I saw the movies, including Predator 2. And so I must have been 15 or, or 16. And my parents were easing up on, on the R-rated movies. So I was like, well, I just need to watch all of these because this universe is so cool and I haven't seen these movies. And there's a good number of them. So the first ones I watched were the Alien films. I started with the second one, did the first, went all the way through those. And then I went moved to Predator. And I loved the first Predator. And I watched the first one first. And then I moved on to Predator 2. And I also loved it. For me, it was it was a great sequel. I think I, I liked it as much as the first. But there, even at the time, there's a part of me that's like, well, it's not as good of a film as the first one was. But I still I like it as much, if not more, than the first. And I feel like both Predator 2 and, and Alien 3, you know, they were movies of the 90s that were sequels to movies of the 80s that were maligned by critics and audiences for a while. But both of those films have aged really, really well. And I think they've gained cult status, both of them. For me, though, I was really surprised by how different of a tone Predator 2 had, even though it was was a good continuation of the first and how strong it built the universe. Like even the scene at the end with the additional Predators and we got to see inside their ship and the alien skull, of course, that like made me freak out because AVP was kind of where it started for me with, with the toys and with, with the video games. And so seeing that teased. At the same time, we were hearing all these rumors about an AVP movie coming out. I was like, oh, man, it's happening. They're they're teasing it. Love the the urban jungle thing they were going for in, in the movie. Even the tease where you see the, the trees coming up and it makes you think you're in a jungle for a second. And then it pans up to the skyline of downtown Los Angeles was just really great for setting the tone of the whole movie. Like this is still Predator, but it's different. And we're going to be exploring different things in a new environment. And the work Stan Winston's studio did with the practical effects in that film was just phenomenal, just like it was in the first Predator. Kevin Peter Hall's performance was was very strong in City Hunter, but it was distinct. Like they had specified in some of the magazine articles coming up to this movie that he was supposed to be a younger, kind of more reckless Predator. And I do think that came across and, and it was an interesting choice because typically you think, oh, the cliche now is with the sequel, it's bigger, better, you know, meaner. And it's like, no, this is a younger, rasher Predator. 
And so, yes, there might be additional challenges with that, but he's he's not like built up to be like, oh, he's superior to the first predator. It's like, no, this is a different predator and he's going to be hunting and acting a bit differently. So I feel the movie was probably better for hardcore fans of the franchise as opposed to mainstream audiences, because like you were saying, AJ, I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, Arnold's not in the movie. Uh, But I don't think the movie really relied well, the franchise doesn't rely on Arnold. I mean, it's great to have had him back in, in hunting grounds after so long. I think it's more, it doesn't rely on Arnold now. I yeah. think we, we might have talked about this. Maybe it did at the time. But yeah, yeah. Everybody knew Predator as, as an Arnold film. Yeah, it was, it was an was Arnold film. It was but it's always Terminator yeah. without Arnold, uh, Alien without Sigourney. It was a big deal not to have Arnold back. Yeah. He was the number one box office star in the world. Well, the, also, yeah. the other thing about one of the reasons why at the time, or at least their approach with the original Predator was it was it was built up to be something that could beat Arnold Schwarzenegger. And typically in an Arnold Schwarzenegger film, he is the guy that beats the villain up no problem. And seeing something that Arnold Schwarzenegger punched and it was just like, you know, it went to the side and it just did this sort of lip curl sort of thing. And then it looked back at him and, and Arnold looked like he was going to shit his pants that was a big thing at the time yeah. for an arnold vehicle so i think and that's I, part of the reason why people were expecting it so it was just the budget right it was his requested fee they didn't want to go along with he wanted to do something to it, i think it came down to the the budget he asked for too much money in the end we're talking about arnold coming back yeah well, I had read, I think it was in Starburst magazine, Stephen Hopkins, uh, the director, had did an interview, and he had meetings with Arnold at first. And there was no script. It was just a premise. But according to Stephen Hopkins, Arnold wanted to do it. He wanted to do it badly. But there was a scheduling problem, and it was less with Terminator 2, which was released the summer of 1991, but the film that followed right behind it, Kindergarten Cop, that um, he just couldn't block out enough space in his schedule, and 20th Century Fox just didn't want to wait. So according to Stephen Hopkins, he was all on board, and it was really just about getting it on the release schedule, and we're not going to wait for Arnold. Well, it was one of the producers talked about it recently, and I say recently, so it was probably a good couple of years ago, but it's probably Davis, John Davis, and they, they did say ultimately it came, at least he did anyway, this is this is like the um, Jean-Claude Van Damme thing, where you go back 10 different stories about the, <laughs> yeah. you know, what happened, and one, one of the producers did say it ultimately just came down to the cash. You're right. I read that. And unfortunately, with Predator 2, there is such misinformation. And I think uh, Eric's going to actually bring up a, a topic a little later in the podcast, but it, where there's just like five people saying five different things. And it's like, what's the truth here? So, but I don't, I don't mean to interrupt Adam here. No, let me just, I'll just cap my experience here, but, but I've always liked it. And I feel like it's grown on me even more through the years. I have even more of an appreciation for what they did with that film. There are a few things that are kind of weird to see in retrospect, but I think that was just a consequence of what they were trying to do. Like the one shot in LA where you see all the huge skyscrapers that it's kind of like Blade Runner-esque when the lightning strikes and it's only that one shot. And I was like, yeah, that didn't happen in 97, (laughs) but they were I mean, it's so inconsequential that it's easy to look past those things. But for me, it was it was a very distinct film that made an identity for itself. And it was super entertaining. It had a great cast. It had great music. Even though Silvestri was back, I feel like the music was more intense and more tribal than it was in the first one, which was more kind of ambient and low key with the exception of when the action ramps up. But this one was more it had a greater number of like moments of intensity with the musical score. It was more melodic. Yeah. 
And it, it had a bigger cast of characters and it had a lot of secondary characters. You know, we really focus on our main squad in the first Predator, but we have like the gang war going on in this. We have the police department. We have this mysterious government force. So there was a lot more elements at play in this one. We have the sleazy news guys coming in, like the big cast of entertaining characters. So I feel like Predator 2, you know, it, it is an awesome film and it probably... I know, Aaron, you and I are like, well, Predator 2 or Predators, it's kind of like neck and neck for us. But I feel like it'll retain its cult status. If anything, maybe it'll it'll grow with that and be, you know, I don't think it'll ever be as respected as the first film was with what they did. But right. Close second. Close second. A very worthy sequel. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I watched it again recently and it's it's always a fun watch. So like 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 Adam, I didn't come in through, you know, I didn't come in through Predator, then Predator 2, Alien, Aliens, Alien 3. You know, I, I was all over the shop with both of the series because of the way I was introduced to them. So, you know, I, I didn't see the films first. You know, with Aliens, I experienced Ride at the Speed of Fright, which then meant I watched Aliens. And then after that, I went on to Alien 3 and then I had to wait years to find Alien on Sky Movies. And then I didn't see Resurrection until I got the Legacy box set. With Predator, my introduction to that was was through its association with Alien. It was through ABP, the game, classic, 1999, 2000, whatever, gold. So... I think I played the game before I saw any of the films and I, I remember sort of begging my dad, can, can I watch Can I watch Predator, please? Because um, he had the first one on VHS and he was being like, oh, I don't know about that. I was like, come on, it's just a guy who, you know, pokes somebody with a stick. I can, I can deal with it. It's fine. How old were you? I think I would have been about 10 when I saw the first right. one. I, I have a really funny history with it because, you know, my dad let me watch it when I was five aliens when i was five which then gave me five years of nightmares until you know until, <laughs> until i watched it all the way through when when i was 10 and um it's the same sort of story with i mean you saw him younger than i did only the only only aliens when i was five i mean even 10 like okay. i didn't watch them until like my early to mid teens i think is when i got started i was playing the game at 10 classic yeah you 2000 you said to your dad, oh, it's just about an alien who pokes people with a stick. <laughs> with a stick. <laughs> this, this was me underplaying it. This, this was me being like, come on, you've let me watch Aliens. You let me play the game. Come on, let me, let me watch Predator, please. And I don't know whether he was just in an awkward um, mood that day or whatever. The but... slippery slope commences. <laughs> <laughs> he lent me the VHS and I watched it on, on my VHS player that was older than I was. Funnily enough, the first thing my dad ever brought with his paycheck was my video player, uh, my VHS player that I had for years and years and years, that he had for years and years and years. But like with Alien and Aliens, there was a huge gap between seeing Predator and seeing Predator 2, but I was still obsessed with all the franchises, you know, with Alien, with Alien vs. Predator and with, with Predator. But it was this obsession without necessarily experiencing it all. It was stuff that I was reading online. You know, I used to visit AVP News a lot back then. Although I waited till the required age of 13 before I actually signed up on the forums. But I spent years, you know, visiting them, visiting the website and reading other people's opinions and stuff like that. So I went into it knowing that a lot of fans, you know, AJ's a bit of an outlier back in the day. Not so much now, but, you know, back in the day, Predator 2 wasn't massively well loved by fandom at the time. You know, it's very much a bit of an Alien 3 situation. So all I knew, you know, I knew the various bits and bobs about it, whatever I'd read, and I knew the impression was just that people didn't like it and that Arnie not being in it was the big bugbear. I think I eventually saw the film 
when I was about 13, because one of my mates at school was into horror, quite a lot horror and sci-fi. And I, I remember I used to borrow like the Friday, not Friday, Jason VHS off him. And he eventually lent me Predator 2 on VHS. And again, a bit of an Alien 3 situation in terms of even the, the friend said to me, are you sure it's not as good as the first? And that's that's like what my dad said to me when we moved on from Aliens to watch Alien 3. I was like, are you sure you want to watch it? It's not that good. So as with both of them, I went in with these, you know, sort of negative expectations. <laughs> I really like both of them. I, I have done since the first time I saw it, and I still do now. You know, Predator 2 is, is a film I've never really had a great deal of problems with. I recognise there are problems. I enjoy them in spite of the problems. And I, I, th- I think some of this is more taste than anything. You know, I, I, I'm not keen on sometimes the campy feel of Predator 2. And I, d- <laughs> I really don't like the costuming in the film. I really don't like it. Uh, the costuming? What yeah. do you mean for the human? The human the humans. Oh, they just look like regular clothes, aren't they? That fucking awful mustard and the trousers <laughs> that Danny wears when. You know, when um, when he's walking through the slaughterhouse and you get these close-up on his feet as he's, you know, approaching all, you know, tactically and stealthily and stuff. Fashion. And there's just this dog-awful trousers. For about eight years, I owned that plaid suit that Mike Harrigan wore when he met King Voodoo Willie. That, like, what was that? It's not plaid. It's um, corduroy, I think. And I had to sell it, unfortunately, um, due to some money situation. But, yeah, it, it was it, it was, was crazy Hollywood for him to wear when it was so hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. <laughs> like people wearing jackets and stuff. It was Hollywood wardrobe department's idea of what blue collar people wore, basically. <laughs> and it's that's not you, you do sort of look back because the other thing people forget is it wasn't it was filmed in 1990 and they were trying to make the far and futuristic world of 1997. And they even say in some of the magazine articles I was reading recently that, yeah, we're changing the vehicles to have that sort of boxy thing, but they're a little futuristic. And it is like they were trying to go like Robocop, but not quite in terms of. Yeah, it wasn't that it wasn't robocop levels of camp no but that's what i'm it, saying it, not quite but yeah. in terms of fashions and a projected idea you have to remember they were trying to insinuate this is the future the future yeah. world of crime fighting so some of the things back then are a bit but those colors odd. were intentional that was all stephen hopkins if you mm. remember and i think he mentions his commentary he mentions a lot of places that he wanted this film to feel like and look like a western you know, that this was the sheriff. And he directed his cinematographer to do that, and he wanted it dirty. He wanted it dusty. And this was the important part. He wanted it brown and those type of colors. And he wanted overexposed. And this was the look he was going for. And I know how it could turn off people easily. And I understand completely, but I love it. I love it. I love it. It's kind of like Alien Resurrection. You know, I, I hate the films where the aesthetic is brown. Yeah. Oh, mustard. Are you aware if that was part of the reason why Hopkins chose that sort of dark slash bright orange for the Predator ship? Could that have been part of why that was? Yeah, there was the whole theme for the entire movie. Yeah. I mean, what's really great is I just loved his involvement with everything, all the camera work. I mean, he he had a James Cameron approach. He was hands-on, not in just regards to the fashion and the colors and, and the color palette, but also the camera angles, the close-up. This was so important for him to give it such a distinctive look. 
And it is distinctive. I mean, I can't yeah. think of another movie that looks like that. I will say uh, the cinematography is something I really like about it. There are some very interesting shots, Cameron. Yeah. I think it's technically impressive, but it also has a very kind of handheld gritty feel in, so, in some scenes. In others, it, it's more tightly controlled. I Yeah, I think the cinematography is very impressive with, with oh, the second oh. film. Like when you see Danny Boy, you know, and he's walking to the crime scene alone and they have this camera that's on a crane on top of a crane. Yeah, that's, that's a gorgeous shot that is. Yeah. And it's like looking down upon as he's, you know, walking through the parking lot going. Yeah, because it uses his, sh- his the fall off of his shadow. It yeah. uses that. for Yeah, that's a really nice shot. You see, that's 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 also another thing that I don't like about the film is some of the, <laughs> the, you know, you have lovely shots like that, and you have such iconic shots as well, like with you know with City Hunter getting his lightning strike, or City Hunter on the, um, you know, on on the gargoyle overlooking, yeah, you know, overlooking they, they have like it. doing his Batman, thing. yeah. But then there is this other sort of editorial and and cinematography choices, like oh my god, the the, the close up on. Goldtooth when he does the shit happens <laughs> and the the the, the whip pans when Arnie uh, Arnie when um Harrigan gets Danny's the necklace necklace yeah. and there's there's certain moments like that I where love that scene where it's I just, love it too dun, dun. <laughs> I can't that that contributes to the the cheesiness that sometimes makes me cringe a little this is why I often say on our pod when we talk about Prince I often say whether you like it or loathe it or just feel indifferent about it it is very much predator 2 is very much a product of the 1990s a lot of that kind of thing was in 1990s yeah which is which is my other real i suppose my last real negative about the film is that this out of all of the alien and predator films is the one that feels the most dated the one where you can feel when it was made and it feels old for it but outside of that, you know, I, I do really like the film. You know, it is it is one of those ones where it just opens the world up so much. You know, AJ talked about that moment with the with the flintlock. It's like Harrigan says at the end of it, you know, don't worry, asshole, you'll get your chance. That just opened the floodgates for the, you know, where you could go with it. You know, they've been in the past, they'll be in the future. Well, even when Keyes speaks to Harrigan and he's talking about, like, he just does that quote about, uh, he just it's a very hurried quote where he talks about, like, where they've been. He talks about Cambodia and Beirut, but he also mentions Iwo Jima. If you stop to think about it, you think, wait, the thing about Iwo Jima, that's World War II. And they're little offhand references that, that make you go, oh, okay, that's interesting. There's a hell of a lot of world building within the film in the same way that I think Predators does it as well, you know, with the little moments, even even the trophies at the end. Yes. You know, it's not a big thing, but it implies so much. Oh, yeah. It implied EVP. But beyond that, a, a number of other worlds with these monstrous creatures on them yeah. that the, yeah. pres- the Predators have visited. One of the magazine articles, they, they're talking in the making of it, like before it had been released, and they, they say, well, we're not going to make it like Star Trek, where you see the spaceships and you see how they work, but you will see the spaceships and you will just instinctively know that's what it represents, that's what it means, that's what it implies. And we've talked about before with Alien and the Space Jockey, it's a similar thing. You just import, you don't need to have an exposition talk to the audience they just they understand they know it although the only weird thing about the spaceship is it's in what the sewer system or something and it just when it breaks it's meant to 
go on plow through Los Angeles and come out. And you think, why aren't the buildings falling down? <laughs> yeah. Well, they do in the book in Stalking Shadows. Oh, yeah. So uh, there you, go. you may it's like that. It's a big that. drainage canal, you know, yeah. and there looks like it's there's a lot of ground, and I guess it could lift up like a Harrier jet at some point versus just blast yeah, it's horizontal. Not clear. It's um, like the spaceship looks really iconic, but you do like Harrigan runs towards the cameras, and you don't even see the thrusters on the model. Okay, it's like they've got one of it's those. Light, it's a fancy light like rig, a, yeah. A pop, a pop group background with all the light bulbs, and it sort of lifts up, and that's meant to be the engine. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's what they used thing. in Independence Day to communicate. Yeah, with. yeah, that thing. Yeah, yeah. helicopters. Yeah, but yeah. So you know, it's it's one of those ones where I, I don't. It's it's not like the Predator or or I suppose Resurrect. No, AVP. I suppose more to a lesser extent. Where I just well, no, it's 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 unfair to lump the Predator with the first AVP. As far as I'm concerned, you know the 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 Predator and Resurrection. As far as I'm concerned, are irredeemable films when it comes to. Um, because no, when Alien. we did our resurrection report, we did say there are good things. Did I did I say resurrection? I yeah, meant requiem. Resur- Sorry, requiem. I meant yeah. requiem. It's not like the, <laughs> it's not like requiem and, and oh, I was predator. agreeing with you. Hey now, hey now, wait a minute. <laughs> they are irredeemable films when it comes to these. No. You know, I I I enjoy Predator Two as much as I enjoy Predators, as much as I enjoy Predator. The same way I enjoy Alien, as much as I enjoy Aliens, as much as I enjoy Alien Three. You know, it just depends on on mood as to what yeah. I fancy watching. And though there are certain things in it that, like Alien 3, where I'm like, eh, I enjoy the film a lot in spite of, of those issues. They are, so, yeah. they are so minor to me. I'm aware of them, but I don't care about them. And I feel like Predator 2, even if it is a little campy, it still feels grounded and, and real. It keeps one foot there, too. Like, it, it never pushes to the level of satire, like Robocop, or even like Starship Troopers or anything. Or even parody like Resurrection. I, yeah. I personally, I feel it does. I don't it know doesn't if do it as bad as Robocop, but I, I do feel there are times where Predator 2 definitely edges into that territory. Personally. Really? Yeah. Like, the main part is that whole thing where they have this really masterful tension where Hopkins, he has, the, you know, with the medical scene where the Predator's fixing <laughs> I itself. I knew that was yeah, where you were going. This is, yeah, but this is the, the major example of it. He does that so well, even the stuff where it, he intersperses with Harrigan. You know, he has the birds flying up, but he's, he's dealing with his fear of heights. And it's really masterfully done. You get all this tension and just you just intersperses it with that stupid old woman scene. And it's yeah, like, I love I don't that think scene. he gives a shit. I don't think he, gives a, think he gives a shit. Yeah, <laughs> I love that so scene. If they deleted, um, you know, respect to the actress, the actress was perfectly fine, but that part of that character, they just took that out. It, that sequence would have worked so much better. But the the entire film has a, an element of, of comedic nature to it. Oh. So I think at that point, it doesn't really feel out of place within the film. Well, that's one of them. That is probably the worst offender in terms of that. That's why I say that's when it starts to feel Robocopy. But even then, that's such an... There is so many elements of of Predator Two that give it this. Again, I said iconic with the shots as well. I think even moments like that. That quote is so fucking well known. Yeah. Come on, yeah. that's... it is. But that doesn't mean to say it should have been in it. I think the the old lady part should not have been in there. It should have just been that part where it's the Predator healing itself. Harrigan come down after under it, and then it just breaks out of the bathroom, whatever it would have been. And it just goes through there, and he goes into the elevator. That would have worked. That moment of levity is too on the nose for me. 
that to me, I bundle that in with the part in Alien Resurrection where General Perez gets his the back of his skull <laughs> going and he sort of like looks it in in that <laughs> so and you just need him to put on a funny voice. And in this part, Predator, yeah, you know, it's an old lady putting on a funny voice, going, I don't think he gives it. It doesn't belong there. It's I like it, it feels Terminator Three. I think it's just one of those quirky bits of the movie that works you know, in its favor. It's, honestly, it's, like it's, the movie is, it's a fun film, and for me, yeah, maybe that cheapens the tone that maybe the first film established a little bit. But I still feel like it it didn't ultimately damage the film, at least in my eyes. It's probably one of the the franchise movies I've seen the most. I think Predator Two because I remember I watched them all the first time I had ever watched Alien One through Four, and then Predator One and Two. All in order was 2003. You know, I had just gotten the Alien Quadrilogy box set late that year, or so, so maybe it was early 2004. But we were getting more news about the EVP movies. I was like, I'm just going to watch all of these in a row, pretty much over the course of a few days. And I feel like Predator 2 was was it felt one of the most significant ones in terms of franchise building and, and world building. But I think it was one of the ones I revisited the most. And then after AVP came out, I think a year later, we had that special DVD for Predator 2 that came out with the red cover and the close up of the City Hunter mask. And that had, of course, the really cool menus you had at the time. Yeah, it had some more special features that we didn't see in the original DVD release. So that was a great set. And I believe the Blu-ray maintained most of the special features. The Blu-ray is just all of these. No, no, the Blu-ray's missing the photographs, the promotional stills. No, they're, they're, they're on there. Oh, not in the U.S. release, then. That's the only thing that's missing. Yeah, I was, I was, mm. actually, I watched the, my Blu-ray copy for the first ever time today, because it's. I realized, oh, I've got it on Blu-ray, I might as well watch it. But yeah, I did notice on the special features, it does have something about either a photo gallery or promotion. Yeah, I could have sworn, I, I, sworn oh, I saw that, yeah. too, on the Blu-ray. Three promotional galleries. It's definitely on the DVD, but I watch the Blu-ray all the time, and it's not there. I've looked for it. Hmm. You know, I've actually looked for it recently because I wanted to check a photo. Oh, that was the one where they had Wolf on the cover. Yeah. When they released the early Blu-rays, I think, with one of the DVDs, too, with a re-release. The definitive editions of the DVDs, because I think that was actually one of our first sort of looks at Wolf. Yeah, and we were like, wait a minute, that's not City Hunter. (laughs) That's when they used the AVP alien on um, the Aliens cover as well. But But to go back regarding what Eric said in regards to humor, for me, it doesn't feel out of place at all because it's carried all through the film. The lions, the tigers, the bears, oh my. Yeah, but that's not that that quote. Hang on, hang on. All right. I stabbed that guy plenty of times. He never died on me before. Or, you know, he's trying to get the license plate. Is 925925. Fuck. I mean, throughout the whole movie, there's humor. What I will say is the humor is out of place in the first Predator film. That actually throws me out, and thankfully they drop it with a knock-knock and stick around because they're trying to build a atmosphere of tension that I think it's ruined with those with those lines where Predator 2, it's carried throughout from soup to nuts. And it never felt like that old lady was out of place because I was laughing through the entire thing at points. To to your point on Predator, though, you know, you've got to remember that the first half of that film is constructed to be an extended episode of of the A-Team. No, there's a lot of suspense with with Billy climbing the chopper, you know, the little drums you hear. I don't know. I disagree. They're building a lot of suspense. the mutilated bodies that's when your first clue yeah it's very suspenseful it's very serious attack on the gorilla camp was apparently meant to be a parody of films at the time but i agree they shouldn't have had that knock knock i think if they took out those one-liners during that 
sequence, it would have definitely functioned much better. All the stuff like jokes on the helicopter on the way to there, that feels like what real soldiers would do. But the one-liner stuff, yeah, it does, like, especially now, it does feel a little bit, uh, I'd rather have it without that. Yeah, yeah. And it felt more in place because it was more consistent in Predator 2. At least that was my take. Do you, do you think it rivals Robocop? Yes. In, in terms me. of the in, well, in terms of the humor, sorry, in terms of the um... oh no 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 no, I mean no, it, is, it doesn't it's, push it that far. No, no, it actually is a great amount. It's peppered, but it's not too much where it actually ruins the film. It never takes me out of the film. It never takes me out of the suspenseful moments. It's really managed, juggled really well, in my opinion. This script. I really like, and and if we're talking script, we first probably credit Mark Verhaden, huh? Because um, and we just did that article on AVP Galaxy where he he, you know, where the Thomas brothers met with uh, Mark Verhaden and um, discussed his uh, first Predator comic book, which was just titled Predator: The Heat. Later was retitled Predator: Concrete Jungle, and that became the building blocks of Predator Two. And I've always felt it was a crime. Mark's okay with it, but I always felt it was a crime that was never mentioned in any of these magazines, in any of the documentaries, in any of these supplementals that, you know, he created this, the the building blocks of the, the, the heat wave and the global That's pretty warming. much an adaptation of his comic, yeah. His first issue. Yeah. 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 Pretty much drops everything else, issue two, three, and four. And thankfully, because Thomas Brothers seem to have, I mean, no offense to Mark Verhaden, but I think the story pretty much nosedives. I love a lot of his other stuff. But that first issue is like a classic 80s, early 90s renegade cop film. And, and like I said, it had the the competing gangs and um, it had the Predator taking out these gang members and it was just so similar. And I just, I still feel it's a shame that it's not trumpeted other than the fans. If, if you do want to learn a bit more about that, you know, it is in the article section on the website and it's um, there's also a video version on, on our YouTube channel. So go, go and watch that. You know, AJ did a cracking job writing that up. Thanks. Yeah. yeah but um, well they said the first draft flew out like in a period of three weeks to Thomas Brothers. But they, the Thomas Brothers said in a bunch of the articles that they were really excited to offer a wealth of background about the Predators um, that they couldn't include in the first film. And they called it, this is important, they called Predator 2 the Bible. And that's a quote unquote, the Bible of Predator, that it clears all the questions not answered in the first film. You know, that these are a race of hunters and sportsmen. I mean, it showed the spacecraft for the first time. And this is important. It showed that the Predator is not a psychopath, that his motives and agenda were pure among their code. And as Stephen Hopkins explained, another quote, that these are honorable creatures in their state of mind. Now, we could object to hunting. We could absolutely object to hunting. I object to hunting. I've never killed an animal in my life. Never want to. But here in America, it happens all the time. And then people go to church. They sit with their family. They enjoy Thanksgiving and what have you. And they feel like they're living honorable lives. And so does these predators. We're lower life forms. And I think and the predators are probably more honorable because they're hunting prey that can fight back and prey that is worthy. They're warriors, you know. That's fair. So. Fair point. Yeah. But um, it was really exciting. And Aaron had mentioned about the script, you know, setting up for a third film. And it was nice. It was they really set up. I think Kevin Peter Hall said there was a huge doorway or a back door uh -huh. that you could drive a truck through. <laughs> 
<laughs> in regards to a sequel of uh, for Predator Three, where yeah, they wanted that was, to go, that was in the Fangoria article. It was funny, Jim and John uh, John Thomas in that same article. They said, "Oh, maybe they'll go to their planet." So, well, I was actually talking about the actual Flintlock. That that was the actual it wasn't doorway. Really, wasn't it? Yeah, that and, they were going to go in the past and explore that. Yeah, no, and they they did in one of the comics, but it would be cool to to see it because that's where we haven't really seen the Predator series go is in the past and also in the far future would be kind of interesting. It's just such a versatile franchise and and the ending especially. And it was also really cool in the Fangoria article how they were all playing coy with the rumors coming out that there would be multiple Predators appearing at the end like, oh, no, we don't know anything about that. But the movie, one of the coolest parts, you know, even people who didn't like the movie, I think they would say one of the coolest parts is that ending when the law tribe shows up and all these different predators have individual outfits and skin tones and different biomasks. We get to see the biomask of the first predator again on Scout. And we get to see some crazy designs like on Borg, even though I think Stan Winston just kind of ripped that from another film he had worked on, right? The Borg armor. Yes, it was. Yes. Oh, what was it from? It's called The Vindicator. He's out yes. on the street and out of control. <laughs> <laughs> I need to actually watch that movie just just for that. It, well, there's quite a few that are like sort of loosely tied in. Um, what was the one Kevin Peter Hall did before The Predator? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. With without warning? No, not without warning. And it was similar to a Predator. Yeah, yeah there's 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 loads of you know loosely sort of related ones that I I really want to sort of explore yeah. on the show it's as like well. With um with Alien, when you people say, "Oh, Dark Star," you got to go see Dark because that was the original, and then you find out it's like this really cheaply done comedy. But you find out Dark Alien Star is, is like brilliant. Yeah, but Alien is like the artistic way if they do similar concepts properly. So you could say the same about Predator. There were seeds in earlier productions and stuff, but they took those elements and they decided to craft it properly into a really well-orchestrated horror type thing. So there's a similar sort of grounding as Alien has originally had. So this this also was probably a jumping off point in terms of building the fandom, like giving cosplayers ideas, right? Like, oh, we can have predators that look totally different and have unique armor and, and different backstories. Yeah, um, I think really cosplaying was a thing back then. No, I'm just saying this might have been the now. spark that kind of inspired some of the original predator cosplay. I don't know. I'm just I'm just thinking out loud here. But for me, the most interesting of the Lost Tribe was Shaman or Hit hippie is he's sometimes called because he's the least armed out of all of them so i'm like what is the purpose of this predator like and boar doesn't have one anything as well yeah actually the, sh the shaman does have a staff but it was um a well couple of the but other it looks predators. like a very ceremonial staff rather than a battle battle staff and and boar has a helmet i don't even think shaman has gauntlets i think he just has like wraps around his his forearms right yeah. so i'm i'm like what is the purpose of this predator is he like their spiritual guide for the tribe or something Thing. Maybe so, he's the one that takes care of the uh, trophies or something. You know, guys, speaking about raps, and since we're talking about the Lost Spreaders, I do want to mention to you, I didn't notice until the 4K version of the film, which is great, by the way. I recommend the 4K, not for Predator, but Predator 2. Real quick, On why not for Predator? Well, because Predator was made with lesser expensive cameras and there's an incredible amount of grain because the filmmakers kept pouring dry ice and smog and there was so much white in the white noise in the jungle that it builds up such an amount of grain that it's really a struggle for me to watch i actually resort back to the blu-ray and the uh, the plastic faces you know the waxy the waxy dylan that is like, not that bad there's like two scenes with the wax 
Yeah. Agreed. It's oh, just wow. at the beginning of the movie. So I was watching the 4K, and it was the first time I noticed on the Elder Predator that he might have more than one human thing on him other than a flintlock. If you look at his left arm, he has a piece of cloth wrapped around his arm, and it's a shield. It's a black shield that has a star in the middle of it. And it almost looked something possibly Spanish. I'm not sure, but it looked like one of those human shields. You know what I'm talking about? Where you put on a flag and there's an actual literal star inside it. And it's a piece of cloth that's old and tattered and it's wrapped around his arm. And I'll share the pictures with you guys. Maybe I'll post it in the forums of this podcast. And it's really, it was really interesting. It was the first time it took the 4k for me to actually realize it. And it's really neat with these predators, how they added all this extra gear and, and, and trinkets and their history, you know, around their body showing a, ancient life they may have lived and the battles they have might have fought and uh, it's really a wonderful thing and it's just wonderful that i can still discover things about this film yeah, yeah. well the the lost tribe i think they were all the names all came from fans afterwards uh-huh. right they didn't really have any names right. yeah. while they were actually shooting and we've seen more of them even just through the the NECA releases and the great artwork that tristan jones has been doing with the anniversary releases for the lost tribe we've seen more of their gear and seen what other hunts they might be on through that artwork yeah. so i love what they did with the lost tribe in this movie and um, i would love to see them back in a in a future film if that would ever be possible like even as cameo it would be cool to see that ship and that that group of predators again the the wrap the shield is the United States Second Infantry Division patch. Wow, from That's a awesome. specific era from South Korea. So whenever all that stuff was the happening. Korean War, then that was the fifties, wasn't it? Well, they, they, if it was a unit, it might you have to find out if it ended or fifty to fifty four. Yeah, right. So well, that is really cool. Some dog tags as well, apparently. This is from Xenopedia's profile on him. Oh, nice. And, you know, it's something I never looked for until I noticed that 4K shot. But, I hear uh, the 4K transfer has been great. Yeah. I don't think they've they've gotten around to doing the individual 4K releases. I think the only way you can see all the Predator films in 4K is by getting that full box set. I thought I, in the UK you could. Maybe. Maybe. Because I saw they were planning on individual releases for the 4K ones, but I still haven't seen them over here. But I did get that set of, of all four of them. I will say Predator 1 had a great 3D transfer. Yes. Um, I own that, and I bought a 3D television for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is really fantastic. Hey, since we're talking about the Lost Predators, let's talk about the Lost Predator ship. I mean, what did you guys think about this possibly biomechanical ship? I love the look of the ship. For me, it was a continuation of, of one of my earliest parts of the fandom, which was AVP2, right? Because Primal Hunt, I think I had played even before I watched this movie, and they had a lot of the crazy orange uh-huh. mechanical textures that were obviously inspired by Predator 2. And for me, that ship was the ship in AVP2 because the back looks exactly the same. It has that opening in the tunnel that goes down there. I know NECA did a version that the front looks different. It's like a single nose design. But in AVP2, it has like these two blades that kind of protrude out of the front of the ship. And for me, that was that was the same ship type, just another one of the same ship. So, well, the the nose of the ship was never designed. The just yeah. the back of the ship was created by Mark Sullivan, and he did this wonderful matte painting. And we were able to uh, interview him for our Lost Predator ship article, also found on AVPGalaxy.net. He, he had explained that he never actually conceptualized the whole ship. You know, he just literally did the back with the matte painting, and then matched it to part of the set that was exposed, the entrance that Mike Harrigan walks into. But uh, 
it's an incredible, wonderful design. And I love the fact that their intention was with the lighting to make it look like the walls were breathing. The pulsating. Yeah. yeah. And, the, they were and sem- was- they were semi-transparent too, right? They were like uh, fiberglass. fiberglass. Yeah. yeah. So they had say, orange yeah, lighting behind them. And they wanted to give you a feeling of there was a heartbeat. And I was always wondering in that big antechamber, you know, that the what's on the ceiling almost looks like a fish eye. And I just love that touch. It was beautiful work. And I've never been able to read actually about that ceiling, but it really gave it look like, and there were no knobs, there were no dials, there were no yeah. switches. You know, apparently there was like an implication that... Um, oh, that we never did it, see the cockpit, if, if the ship indeed had yeah. a cockpit. Well, yeah, but the, 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 there was an implication that unfortunately was missing in the film that there was just some sort of symbiotic relationship between the yeah. Predators and this lost Predator ship. That's really oh. wonderful and broke my heart when it was never carried over to like the AVP films and so forth. It's, yeah. it's a good thing all the games at least stuck to that at yes. the very least. You know, like like Adam said, AVP 2, which was a huge part of mine and his sort of like, you know, fandom involvement, you know, they, they pulled on it so much. Even, even AVP Classic... And even I think even on the Jag as well. I think even the old the Jag one. You yes, know, they, they, yeah. But that's because that's that was what was, was yeah. It was what was established, and they went with it. But just because it's established doesn't mean people are going to stick to it. You know, um, Paul Anderson proved that. But you know, it, it's such a unique look such a unique identity for the predator vessel that stands so on its own like like the derelict does you know that yeah sorry about that. it was so unique you know avp the film and requiem you know it's a far more generic sci-fi alien thing the star destroyer look and it's a, it's a huge shame that they they didn't they didn't follow the, the aesthetic the predator two laid down. You no, know, honestly, I I like both. I think you can you can get by both like sleeker silvery designs, and you have the more orange tones as well. Like for example, the comic uh, Bad Blood, where you have the the Bad Blood ship looks kind of like a Predator two style ship, where it's all complicated and crazy looking on the inside, and then the Enforcer ship that's chasing him, it has like a bridge inside, and it looks a bit more minimalistic. And even the ship we see in the first Predator film, the X exterior of the ship looks less complex than the exterior of the ship in Predator 2. So for me, it's just like they have all different types of ships for different types of tribes, and some might yeah. be more minimal, and some might be more crazy like they are in, in Predator 2. I mean, you can always headcanon the, the aesthetic changes for everything. Yeah. And e- even even uh, behavior and stuff like that. With Predator, it's so easy to just explain it as well as, oh, they're a different tribe. They have different yeah, I will. I will say, like I that. think the ship... Okay, in AVPR, the inside of the ship, even though it was like silver and it looked kind of like the aesthetic of the first AVP movie on the outside, in the inside, it had a lot of steam there were a lot of piping on the walls and and it looked dark and kind of cool and mysterious i feel the ship in the predator was a bit too minimalistic star trekky it felt like the it felt like avps i think it was it took the minimal aesthetic further than avp did the thing was i wouldn't personally call it unique because i remember even the first time i saw it i remember and this even goes to some elements of how they changed the predator's armor for predator 2 although i i I will preface this by saying i didn't mind it i think it really suited it well but especially with the spaceship at the end of predator 2 it instantly reminded me of the klingons in the star trek movies that you look at the inside of the bird of prey it's very similar aesthetics what worked for it were those aztec slash mayan 
South America, Mesoamerican engravings on the wall. That's what really, because what that did, it did it the same with the derelict in Alien. That gave it a sense of history. It was weighted in history in the same way that in the original Predator film, you had Anna talking about, you know, the the demons who make trophies of men. It was a similar thing. And instantly with a lot of viewers, I think at least subconsciously, it made them think, wait, does that mean the Predators might have influenced South American ancient culture? Which is obviously what they ultimately did with the first AVP film. But those engravings on the wall, that's what really helped it. And of course, they had those big, like, four monoliths in the center of the room, which also weighed it down with it. It felt very ceremonial, especially with the trophy wall right by there. And of course, you had to also wonder when that closed up, when they, well, they were lifting off, you, you also began to wonder, well, wait a minute, does that mean to say there were other trophy walls with skulls we never even saw? What if that was just the trophy wall that happened to be open. So it was had a very nice origami type look, which, especially on the exterior of the hull as well, fitted really well with like it looked like if you made a spaceship out of the Predator's gun, out of the Predator's medical pack, it all sort of had that cohesive aesthetic, which made it feel cultural in a way that you see the um, like the Star Destroyer type thing in AVP. It doesn't have that. And so I think the Predator to two look is probably the best we've had so far i never got a star trek feel like a bird of prey feel out of the film i, I, I can't see that i mean the, the only possible connection for me would be the slightly redder tones other than that the star trek it, connection I mean, for I'm me was that a tribal feel which they worked into a lot of klingon stuff but I'm, I'm not saying it was a copy, but it felt similar to me. To so me. the production designer, Larry Paul, he came up with the idea of modeling it after a chambered nautilus. You know, the mollusk with the spiral shot right. yeah. with the compartments, which is really cool, by the way, because apparently this mollusk can squeeze water out of the compartments. And as he becomes more buoyant, lifts, you know, rise above the water or lower himself all the way to the bottom of the, the ocean floor. But I thought it was a really fascinating design and still something I don't think I've ever seen before other than the idea that this is really a biological creature that they probably or possibly captured and is harnessing for its power. That we've seen in Star Trek Encounter at Far, Far Point, Farscape, Lex. That idea I've, uh, I've seen before, but the actual aesthetics it still feels like uh-huh. brand new to me. So can we talk about the cast, guys? Yes, I, w- I was, I was, I was going to try and lead us on to um, Harrigan, especially because of how we talked about earlier, you know, um, that complaint, you know, it's not Arnie was. So Harrigan, I mean, Danny Glover's fucking, he's a big man. Yes. yes, he got physically fit. He's six feet, four inches. I don't know how that is in the UK. And he's 220 pounds, you know, and he got in shape. He actually was like 40 pounds overweight because of the Lethal Weapon films that he was close to retirement. Mm-hmm. They wanted to make him pouchy. But that guy was muscle bound and imposing, sometimes in a way more than Arnold because he's taller than Arnold. And uh, he was thick and he was scrappy. And I thought he was terrific. I mean, he wasn't a leading man and he never has been. 
That was his chance. I mean, in Lethal Weapon, you can say, well, his name's above the title. But Mel Gibson was the star of those movies, you know. And the, the movies lived, lived and died with Mel Gibson. And unfortunately, you know, this didn't work out for Danny. But I just loved him in the role. Yeah. And Stephen Hopkins indicated that the producers badly wanted Stephen Seagal. I'm not sure if all of you are familiar with him. <laughs> that would have made it feel even more <laughs> dated I, 90s. I've always ah. said that Predator 2 feels like a Steven Seagal film, so that to me is very interesting. Well, now I, Danny Glover was a was a great lead for the film. He's it's funny he played a cop again after this in uh, the first Saw movie. So he he yes. just plays those hardened cops, man. That's what he does. But he had a great personality as as the hardened cop in this movie. I still haven't seen the the Lethal Weapon films personally. I need to watch. Lethal those. Weapon was before this, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. So, so he he came from being a cop as well. Yeah. yeah. The, the, mm-hmm. Even the whole "I'm too old for this" or something about birds. I'm pretty sure that was in Lethal Weapon the first. Yeah, I'm too old. It was a copy. Yeah, it was a copy. But uh, I thought he did a terrific job. He has this on-screen gravitas and his. I love his voice. You know that raspy. You know, I'll talk to you later. You know. Yeah. And that kind of. <laughs> that was a good <laughs> That raspy voice, and I thought he was just fantastic. And I was so excited looking back at this that they didn't bring Arnold back because finally we didn't get into that trap. That trap that is burdened the Terminator, that burdened alien for a while that you have to bring back its star no matter what. And this is the only way you can make an alien film or a Terminator film. And to be honest with you, in a way, they were right. I do think it affected the box office. I mean, Predator 2 wasn't as successful, but I think it was the right direction for the franchise not to have reoccurring characters i thought it was brilliant retrospect yeah did the fangorio starlog article sort of talk about concerns over danny glover being cast in the film you know because he wasn't known was it was it like another adrian brody sort of situation where he wasn't known as a leading man for an action film i think yeah the producers really had an issue with it and joel silver had an issue with it even and um i think stephen hopkins and the thomas brothers they're trying to explain is like in saw or what have you, or like in Halloween, that the actor didn't have to be the star, that the Predator was the star. You know, in the first film, Schwarzenegger was the star. But we can make the villain the star in the film. And uh, unfortunately, it just didn't work that way. There's I love also that they- another problem, because you've got to remember, this is back in 1990. It was, I think, fair to say, it was practically unheard of to have, because this was a big sort of A-list sort of, it was an attempt to make a blockbuster. It didn't turn out that way, but it was, they tried to make a It was pretty much unheard of to see a black guy as the lead character in an action film of that, especially in an Arnold Schwarzenegger sequel. You just didn't do it back then. This this was very much, they were taking a big risk in terms of what their um, focus groups and that would have told them in terms of, we want to get a big box office draw. There would have been that sort of thing, well, you know, he's a black guy, should we take that risk? Because back then that would have been a concern of the studio. It was it was less common in, in the early 90s, for sure, especially. Yeah. But I feel like you had a great cast with the the team of characters. Maria Conchita Alonso was great in her role, as was Bill Paxton. She's fantastic. It's a very multicultural cast as well. Who yeah, played Danny? Who played Danny? Um, uh, Ruben, Ruben Blades. Blades. Blades, yeah, sorry. 
he was good as well. But I feel like, and this is one of the complaints I've seen about this film, or I guess criticisms, is there wasn't enough character building, mm-hmm. uh, especially with with the relationship that Danny and Harrigan had, because they were yeah. longtime cops, but we didn't really hear too much of their history together. But don't you feel like it was something of an alien situation, where even yeah. if we didn't have the backstory spelled out, it was still there, and you could still yeah. feel it? I don't, yeah. I don't think that was a detriment to the film at all. No, I don't either. I'm just saying I, I did read that in some... I think I watched the Alien Theory video. He did a video which was, is Predator 2 underrated? And he goes through some of the criticisms the film had, and I think among them was there wasn't enough character development, especially between Harrigan and, and Danny. And I think maybe it could have used more, but no, I don't think it hurt the film. Like, we get that they're longtime friends. I, I think the only bit that I miss in that is Leona and them cutting the scene with her boyfriend in the bar. Otherwise, it feels like her pregnancy is a little bit out of left field. I think that's the I've, only... I've seen some fans make this weird assumption it has to be Bill Paxton was the father. And you think... I had always thought that. a little bit too far along. I, I had always thought that, that she was giving him... him shit publicly but behind the scenes you they see? were starting to kind of date each other well she was actually married and it was her husband in the script and um, why they were at uh, Ray's bar in the middle of the film is that was actually Leona's birthday celebration and that thing was on the shooting script so that's what they were filming you, you've seen you've seen footage of them filming her and a fella as well so they definitely filmed that bit I think now, unfortunately, they um, they cut that out, and they cut out some also some scenes where they were implying morning sickness. Like Leona came out of the bathroom not feeling that well, and um, Jerry tried to order her beer, and she's like, "No, no, just club soda, please. I'm not drinking." And they never quite go out and say she's pregnant. Um, also, when they were heading to the subway, she looked awful, and Jerry tried to say, hey, you look like in bad shape. Let me just get on the subway myself. Why don't you go back home? And she says, I'll be all right. And this was just implying that, you know, if people who can catch on that, you know, she possibly might have been pregnant. But yeah, they cut that all out. And um, I think it was good for it to be sudden because the like we thought she was done for when the predator is about to kill her. Yeah. And to even if it's a bit out of left field to have the predator notice that and be like, oh, okay, well, I'm not going to kill her. Similar to how some human sportsmen might do with uh, female deer or whatnot. Yeah, that's well um, yeah it, it made it interesting. Yeah, I preferred that. It was a, quite a shocker for me. I think it still would have been surprising because you wouldn't necessarily have known that the Predator would have let her yeah, survive. It, that's what I feel, yeah. I, ju- I just feel like it would have been... It, it would have felt better to have had those hints. Mm. Mm. I, that, that, I just missed that, I do, from what we know of the deleted scenes, that's all. That's fair. But she was fantastic in that role. I think she's she's as great as uh, Vasquez, to be honest with you. She just carries... A lot you know, of people she... think it's the same actress, yeah. falsely. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Really? Yeah. Well, isn't uh, Jerry Lambert related to uh, Hicks? Not Hicks. Um, Hudson? Hudson. Wash your mouth. <laughs> Sorry, Jesus. Hudson. He's his and, ancestor. Uh, Hudson, uh, yeah. that's, that's one of those fan theories, isn't it? Isn't that the latest fan theory? Yeah. Uh, not latest. That's been around a long time. But since the 90s, yeah. Now it's and funny then we have, with... of course, Gary Busey in his role. Yes. Yeah. You and know, of course, actually, Danny Glover worked with Busey on Lethal Weapon as well. Now, mm-hmm. Stephen so Hopkins like... said in an interview with Starburst Magazine that he wanted John Lithgow. I don't know if you gentlemen are familiar with that actor. That would have been so weird. That yeah. would have been interesting, actually. He would have introduced a lot more subtlety in that. Completely different type of actors, aren't they? Gary Busey is Gary Busey. You're going to get what you... 
for me, he was one of those, like, Busey plays a role as Busey, but for me, that character was way too over the top considering the position he was meant to be in. I think it would have been better to have a, a more nuanced one who didn't at least come across as a tad on the psychotic side. I honestly, I don't, I didn't get that from his character. I mean, I, you, you do have those funny bits in the special features where he's like the predators from another galaxy oh, and yes. all that, but um, <laughs> pink particles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But I, I think he, he acted the role fine. I don't think the character came across as, as crazy or over the top, except for maybe when he started fighting the Predator. But then it's a life or death situation. So I'm like, OK, maybe he's like just I mean, in the... that, that character was rewritten because that character apparently was going to be the one that Arnold was. He was going to be Dutch in that role. I think this is the urban myth myth kind of moments, one of them, because they never wrote a script with Arnie in it, with Dutch in it. Okay. Uh, the first draft had keys. So whether whether it was just the idea of Arnie being somebody hunting the Predators. I never suspected they'd put Dutch in that government role, you know, to shut down Mike Harrigan and not... Yeah, I mean, that's know, what... When I him. heard about that, I mean, it's in a magazine of sci-fi icons, Time Walk, where they do an alien special. It's got it written in there that that was the character. But whenever I first heard about that rumor, I thought Dutch wouldn't really be... If it was rewritten, it would have me meant to be he was like a veteran and not this... Because mm. that's what he didn't like about Dylan, that he'd become this sort of operative behind a desk and it wouldn't have suited Dutch at all. And that's why I think Hunting Grounds was effective with them bringing back Dutchess. It was like, well, he works with OWLF, not for them. So I think it was good for them to specify that. But sorry, Voodoo, you were going to say? Yeah, I think what happened was in these guys in the commentaries, they're always like saying misleading information. It was a combination of Stephen Hopkins said at one point, we're hoping to have both Arnold and Danny Glover in the film. Now, when the Thomas brothers are doing their commentary, the Thomas brothers say Mike Harrigan's role was always attended for Arnold. They said that point blank, cut and dry, period, end of sentence. So I go back to it and I know in the first draft, we were talking about things being cut out, like Leona's birthday party and her pregnancy. In the first draft, we did have Arnold appear in a form of a videotape where uh, he was talking about, I think, the Predator's um, detonation. Pretty much him being a sore loser and him having the runaway from the explosion. And that preceded a video debriefing of Anna. And Anna went Yeah, because we saw that one in the film, the Anna one. Right, that little blip. And she holds the prize of being the only reoccurring character in a Predator movie, even though it's one second on a TV screen. It was new footage, and she is in the credits. Oh, it is new. All right. Yeah, they actually, we we, we have another article in AVP Galaxy that people can look up, and right. it's about Anna's um, missing Predator 2 scene. So there was enough evidence to show that it was actually filmed. We even see Gary Busey and Danny Glover reviewing Anna's debriefing on the video inside that trailer, I guess is what you call it. The Predator-mobile. <laughs> but Arnold was going to appear in the debriefing too, so maybe that's what they meant about they were hoping to have both Arnold and Danny Glover in the same movie at some point, you know, I mean, he couldn't do, geez, 1990 was Total Recall, then Kindergarten Cop, then 1991 yeah. Summer, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. You know, he really couldn't squeeze that in. Maybe they were hoping to get him in just a, a brief amount, but people took that as like, okay, if Danny Glover is in it, he's Mike Harrigan, what would Arnold be? He must be Keys. Because I think Aaron and I both have been looking like crazy 
Stacy for, you know, something to support this rumor that Arnold was going to be in the keys role and we just can't find it. Haven't been able to find it yet. Yeah. I had a lot of material. It wouldn't make sense for 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 Harrigan to have been Dutch either, because like he goes from being a veteran, what mercenary or whatever he was in the first film, into being a cop in Los Angeles who's really strung at like you talk about a high stress career. That wasn't. <laughs> I don't see how that would have worked. Yeah, but it was a shame. In in terms of um, Peter Keys and Gary Busey, got to ask. Um, I'm going to guess you would probably know this better than any, because Gary Busey is a character of himself in general <laughs> these days, isn't he? But yeah, this was his first film after a, um, a bike accident. So was he Gary Busey the character before this bike accident? Yeah, I remember watching some Lethal Weapon, and that was prior to the accident. A Lethal yeah. Weapon documentary, and he was still wild and crazy and larger than life, you know? So it just, it just kind of exacerbated his, his personality then. Now, he, he did have a lot of problems with drug abuse, and that was one of Stephen Hopkins' concern. He had said that, I think, in a Starburst interview, that um, why he wanted John over Gary was because he was concerned of that abuse, I guess, maybe of a relapse. So maybe that person came out of excessive drug use i don't know maybe only his his son could tell us that but uh, he was always yeah he's always this larger than life guy and hard to manage on set but boy did he really pop on screen you know it's another one of those things that really gives predator to his own identity as well isn't he i mean that whole speech in the in the command trailer the lions the tanks yeah. oh my Oh yeah, he eats up that scenery. It is I mean You're it's enjoyable to watch, <laughs> but it's it's like with the Emperor in Star Wars, Ian McDermott, he just hams the shit out of that dialogue. But Busey <laughs> does in it, but it works it, it works, works so well. well with those particular lines, yeah. But I am very intrigued by knowing what someone like Lithgow would have done with that though. He wouldn't have suited... I don't think he'd have suited the tone of the film, to be honest. I don't know. I think he got, Lithgow is one of those guys who doesn't seem to know how to give a bad performance. I mean, Lith, Lithgow, he can do over-the-top stuff, like in Third Rock from the Sun. That is really over-the-top stuff. But he can really inject some subtleties. So I'm just... It's like when we read about the the people who were considered for the roles of Alien. We'd never heard them before, but then you find out like Dennis Waterman would have been Kane or Dallas or something. You go, yeah, I wonder how they would have done it. So, yeah, I'm getting the same vibes from a Lithgow Keys. I don't think any any of the cast were a weak link at all. I no. think the the whole cast was knocked out. Even even the bit parts, like Robert Davi as yeah. uh, Heinemann. No, I was I was gonna say like I don't know the names of all the actors in the secondary roles, but this this movie juggles a lot of different groups and different characters, and and even the the different gangs and how they interact with each other. And and Heineken, yeah, there's there's a lot of strong performances and presence in this film, even if it's just there briefly. Yeah, I mean, how how memorable is Goldtooth? And he wasn't an actor. Stephen Hopkins says it was a little scary because they were bringing these guys off the street. They had no acting experience and Goldtooth was one of them. And he was fantastic. You know, I don't know. I, maybe he was a bouncer. I forget what he said. But the only ones out of um, Willie's, King Willie's posse, who was an established actor, was Calvin Lockhart, King Willie. I think, yeah. yeah, he was a Shakespearean actor, I believe. I so, yeah. Yeah. Like, and which one of those in that scene was a real prostitute? as well but she was a porn star not a prostitute porn star yeah. yeah her name which is terry the, weagle which one of the gang members was also in the first film that was the helicopter pilot right oh, El scorpio. scorpio 
Uh, yeah, Scorpio is ready. And that's another thing. Just like the first Predator movie, the sequel has some damn good one-liners. Like, arguably uh, even more than the first film. Like, when yes. we're playing Hunting Grounds, we always find ourselves reenacting those scenes, and the movie yeah, I mean, has great like, one-liners. Just like, like, just Ghostbusters like the first Ghostbusters 2 does. I mean, some of the stuff is a little hokey. I'm starting to refer now to Predator 2 as being a bit like Independence Day, where there's some really fun action sequences that, you know, you have even like Jeff Goldblum's dad, he's, you know, gives a great performance, but there are little things about it that are, they just a little cheesy. Like for, and one of the weird things that is sort of like performance related is when Key's team, they're coming to grief in the slaughterhouse and Harrigan says, oh, yeah, yeah, turn your lights off, turn your, and he decides to go out there, get his guns and all the rest of it, and he he's trying to strangle one of the people that come for him, and you can tell his hand is like three or four inches away from the guy's throat, but the, guy, the, the extra who's meant to be strangled, he's going, oh, yeah. I'm going to unlock the door. And the guy's hand isn't anywhere <laughs> near his throat. There are little things like that. But there are some little things. Like yeah. I, there's a little thing I forgot to mention when we were talking about the spaceship is when it's taking off and it's just a panel of these lights moving up. I'm like, come on, guys. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you have all these other great special effects in the movie and you just have like these stadium lights slowly rising. The part um, of the problem is they didn't even know what the painting was going to look like. They didn't yeah. know if there was going to be, you know, how many jets. <laughs> I mean, the painting so wasn't done. Could that have been a, a placement shot that they intended to change later and they didn't get Maybe. around? Like Keyes' levitating torso, that was meant to be an accident because they didn't remember to put the torso sort of flopping down and it just turned out like that. <laughs> I try I to remember that part. Like, wait, what? Where's his torso? Why is it still yeah. there? I kind of <laughs> go he- headcanon. I don't know if you guys ever watched The Omen and there was this guy uh, decapitated by a, um, a plate of glass. And as he gets decapitated, the head flies in the air and just spins and spins and spins. And this was all done with practical <laughs> effects. So I just have this head cannon that, you know, his head is spinning in the air for that yeah. scene. But maybe it, uh, maybe he fell on a meat hook. I don't know. Yeah, that I think that was one of the most common sort <laughs> yeah. of explanations. Also, the, uh, the Predator's infrared, like his natural vision, they meant to do it all red like in the first Predator film, but they just forgot to do it, which is why it's... But I, I like, I head cannon that too by thinking, well, the, the warehouse is meant to be like refrigerated, so maybe that would help the Predator see as it does with the mask my head canon is that they actually have different default settings and it's just a fucking contact lens that they have with a specific vision mode on it which is another thing as well isn't it you know this was the first film where we actually saw them the different um, with modes. the different vision modes again and pl- uh, opening a world up in terms of um, ideas and explorations that was yeah, another I really wanted cool them moment. to explore what some of those were meant for in our future story also with the predator weaponry we had so many new weapons compared to the first film, which only really had the wrist blade and the, the plasma caster in the first film. This one, we got the net gun. We got the throwing disc. We had the telescoping spear. We had the wrist gauntlet cannon. So, yeah, it was really cool just how much Predator world building this film did. Another weird thing, though, was how the plasma caster just shot little fireworks instead of the the composited blue plasma bolts like the first film. Yeah, they looked like they like had little practical the fireworks thing itself. Yeah. Yeah. 
But the Thomas brothers said they actually had twice the amount of weapons designed and they actually had to cut it down by 50%. And I would just love to get a list of yeah, what they came up we with. we know what know? the others were, but what he no, didn't see. No, you know, the Thomas brothers haven't worked on another Predator film, you know, and I... They're impossible to get hold of as well. I mean, I, I reached out to so many people to do with Predator 2 in the hopes of getting like a nice interview to go along with this episode. No takers, no bites, no replies, and it crushed me it crushed me and i was trying to find uh, contact details for jim and john because i thought i thought they'd be fucking brilliant to have on for stuff like that and they just there's no there's no presence for we them. kind of did because when we had bill paxton's son we did ask him about well, he, how his father's work was in predator 2 but according to him <laughs> bill paxton was so embarrassed that he forbade his son from ever watching <laughs> predator 2 good but you know, I, that's... I mean i think Paxton's performance is fine and he he you needed someone like Paxton to do it but um yeah apparently Paxton was not a fan of the finished product that's what I think is a shame because even the people who didn't like Predator 2 very much maybe even including you yourself Eric in the reviews everyone had raving reviews for Bill Paxton and his performance that he was great in his film so it's beyond me I can't comprehend why Bill couldn't watch himself in this role I mean, in a way, it's an extension of his Hudson role, which is in a way an extension of his uh, Chet role from Weird Science. It's that same goofy, outlandish, boisterous character. And I yeah, just... I mean, he he talks in the because I only managed to see half the making of documentary, but he talks about that. Yes, when you the director told him that he'd he really liked his work in Aliens and Near Dark, and when he said Near Dark, I thought, oh yeah, Severin. Severin is one of those really like he Paxton. Keeps the over-the-top stuff in reserve with Severin, but when he lets it out, he really lets it out. And you say it's one of the the greatest honors an actor can have is when a, a director knows your previous work and he come and he said that's what I want in that role. So clearly at that point, Paxton, like you said, he was really over the top with getting the role. But it's just something about the finished film. So I'm I'm not sure he'd have necessarily he had an issue with his own character. Is it, it was just something about that. But I mean, this goes into what I, I don't have any issues with the action sequences, the creature, all that is fantastic, especially the music. My main thing is the human drama, the stuff between those things doesn't really work for it. And I think at its core, my problem with it is that they they set it up wrong, that the, they're showing a sequel to a film. The audience already knows what the mystery is. They know it's a space alien. They know what it looks like. They know what it does. But you're building up 50%, if not more, of the reason for going to see it is they set it up as a detective story. What could possibly be doing this? What could it be doing? Is is it rival gangs? But the audience is basically, I think, especially back then in cinemas, they would have been basically going, well, we know what's happening. It's not a mystery to us. It could have been more interesting to do it from the perspective of Keys or someone. I mean, I, I said like Independence Day there is a, a weird link because Adam Baldwin is in both as a sort of B-roll character. 
But I think it would have been better to have it focus on a character, not like Harrigan, who doesn't have the first clue, but a character who does, if they've not faced it before, then someone like Isabel in Predators, who's at least been briefed about these creatures. Because it just, especially on rewatches, it kind of feels to me, and I'm sure you're going to disagree, AJ, especially, but to me, it feels like an unnecessary slog for them to get to realize, well, this is what's doing it. This is why. When you really should have that presented, if not from the get-go, but quite early on in the film, so that they can get into the more would-be interesting aspects of playing around with the the Predator property. I think building it up as a detective story, it was to its detriment, because you didn't need to make this thing about a Dirty Harry kind of character who's... I mean, even there, the other problem with when I viewed it was Harrigan doesn't really do anything to earn a Predator's I-must-hunt-you feeling, because he's just he just does a an outflanking maneuver in a car and they just see a white face and they're trying to make it like oh how can we make this film interesting oh we'll make it he's hunting harrigan he's getting rid of everything they've got no way to recognize who the hell harrigan is <laughs> any way to track him it's a big plot hole i think it would have worked much better if they'd have approached it the human drama stuff from the perspective of character who, if not has had personal experience then they are on key's team or something like it where they are at least aware of this thing so they hit the ground running along with the audience i think you're filling in the blanks too much here to say that the predator did not recognize harrigan i mean there's so much unexplained that there's never i think a general assumption by the audience that's like he can't tell who this person is or that person is i mean he picked out he watched that battle and picked out his lion and then he wanted to goad that lion you know when that when that harrigan no none of those cops could get back and save those two um motorcycle police detectives or motorcycle officers on the ground but harrigan came there he drove that vehicle Hung himself from the side. Great action sequence, by the way. Fantastic. Never saw something like that in movies before. And the Predator spotted this and said, this is my lion. This is my my ultimate prey. And but that's it. It wasn't a big thing. I mean, he just drove a vehicle, hid behind it for a while, and then after a couple of minutes, then went around the side and shot some beer. That's well, he's special he's still, about that. He still came across as the leader that was pushing his group forward into en- enemy territory. And I feel like the whole, the discovering... The Predator's presence in this movie was distinct enough from the first film in in terms of you had all these violent forces at play and then there's this like Harrigan says we got a new player in town there's this killing going on that's different than all the killing that they've been seeing I thought the detective stuff worked to this movie's favor and it went to the whole cop action movie vibe of, of this film so yeah I, I think a Predator could distinguish an individual I mean how else but are they going to abduct people with certain face. backstories in the next film so and that was the plot hole with that from my from my point but Harrigan just comes he just got a generic white face he's not making any features there now I know in the story they want us to believe like that's their backstory but, but me as a viewer it is a plot hole yeah. there is no I, way I for always, the predators my to my head cannon is avp2 where they can turn off their vision modes and they see kind of like we do i i respect that critique <laughs> i've i've never heard that critique before that hey how does he recognize one person from another and i do respect the critique also of the audience already knows yeah but 
that doesn't apply in Predator 2. Maybe because it's the second one, maybe because it's done so well, maybe because it moves so fast between the warring gangs, the violence and the drugs and the world building. And the fact that they think that this might be rituals from the, the voodoo gang, it just doesn't seem for me. No, that's, that's what, as a standalone thing, it works much better as a than it does as a sequel to Predator is what I'm saying. Well, I do know, I do know that at least among Predator fans, at least on AVP Galaxy, they cherish this film. You know, this thing, often they put these two as the top, you know? And maybe that has something to do because they're also written by the Thomas Brothers and they're both done by Stan Winston and it's just this level of quality that has garnered so much respect. Uh, Aaron was right. The reviews were, were pretty bad at the time and it has grown, Adam's right, into this like cult status even more so more so i mean actually adam just shared it wasn't uh, jeremy johns chris stuckman right a video on um, popular youtube movie reviewer where he was just indicating that he used to think this movie was bad then he thought this movie was a guilty pleasure and then he realizes hot damn this is a good movie you know and he doesn't understand it himself either if this was a transition there's so many bad movies now that he could appreciate it for what it is he, he didn't even quite understand it himself but predator 2 has been moving in this in this wonderful light we saw it with Joe Blow movies. We see it done with so many websites that say, hey, give this another look because you should be appreciating this movie, you know? And I'm finally screaming, yes, yes, because I've been loving this one from the beginning. This was my aliens to alien. And I never understood the problems. I mean, you know, I have guilty pleasures on my shelf. I have this movie called Ultraviolet starring the girl from Resident Evil. I don't know if you guys ever saw that. I've, I've seen yeah, it. Yeah. I, can, I can understand, I can comprehend that that is a <laughs> guilty pleasure pleasure but with predator 2 it was always so difficult for me you know and i saw predator as the the most dangerous game and i saw predator 2 as this detective story you know and it, it just there are two counterparts that work so well for me. Um, yeah, there's problems with, you know, there, there's a hole here and a hole there. If you guys remember, this was a rushed production. They moved the release dates up twice for Stephen Hopkins. When Stephen Hopkins was hired, he was that told... would explain a few things. So production started February filming. Principal photography started February 1990. Okay. At that time, he was told that the film would come out the spring of 1991. Then it was bumped up to Christmas, late December. And if you watch the first two trailers, I think there's three trailers on the Blu-ray. If you watch the first two trailers, the end of the trailer says, this Christmas. Then they bumped it again a third time to Thanksgiving in November. And you watch that third trailer and it says, this Thanksgiving. And then you watch the TV spots and this Thanksgiving. So it went from February 1990 to early, you know, spring 1991 to February 1990, November 1990. It was a ridiculous, we talk about predators as well regarding yeah. such a ridiculous schedule. This was a small, tight window. I mean, per Stephen Hopkins interviews, um, uh, I think in Starburst, they were doing optical effect shots right up to the premiere and the striking of the prints of the film. They made 500 prints, added new optical shots, did 500 prints more while those were being struck, <laughs> then added new optical shots. So in the U.S., 
on November 21st, that weekend, there were, there were three different versions of the film. If you watch some of the um, special effects on the Blu-ray, you'll see that little uh, film clapboard, I think it is. And it'll say uh, September or October 1990. If you, if you pay attention to them, I'm like, oh my God, this is a month before the release and they got a guy in a red suit. And this isn't CGI. This takes long. This is a chemical process yeah, to get these effects. Yeah. yeah, so this was a really rushed time. So it's amazing that Stephen Hopkins and the whole the, the whole team was able to produce such a, in my opinion, such a, a, a well-built film. Yeah. It's really an achievement. Have, having known that, I now appreciate it a lot more. It's like when I found out about the budget for AVP that was insanely low. That made me appreciate what they came up with a lot more. Having known that about this film, I now appreciate that a lot more. I think Hopkins joked about the uh, the print still being wet when they were when they were being screened. Yeah. Um, to, to your, um, I forget who mentioned it now. Somebody was talking about um, the detective story. I yeah. think I think in the earlier drafts, you know, there wasn't a great deal of difference between. So we've got the second and third draft available on the website, and come the day this episode release, we'll also have the shooting draft up on the website as well, courtesy of Mister AJ over here. But it's largely consistent in terms of. The, the plot and stuff like that. But I the second draft, it seemed to be a bit more actual detective story going on. You know, we, you actually saw the bits where it, it, it wasn't uh, Jerry at the time. What was his name? Tony. In, Tony. In that, yeah. It was like Tony and Jerry swapped. <laughs> you know, it was Jerry Pope and Tony. Yeah. So, so Jerry's character, you know, you actually got to see him tailing keys and you got to see them investigating the slaughterhouse district and looking, you know, trying to find staff who work there and, you know, trying to deduce who could have been doing the killing and stuff like that. I think the detective story was played up a lot more early on. And I actually would have liked to have seen that, you know. I would I would have liked Maybe more that's it. a big part of what, when I saw Bill Paxson talking about, yeah, I really like this. It sounds like there was more substance to his character in those drafts. It might have been that. Would've... There was a nice moment as well when, I can't remember how it worked out, um, in terms of Leona tell, no, Leona told him that she was pregnant. And there was nice sort of moments where he started to get, I mean, it, it might, might have aged a bit poorly in terms of, you know, the yeah. stereotype yeah. kind of way males treat females emails delicately and stuff like that but it, it seemed like a nice moment where he's concerned for her knowing about her pregnancy at that point really sort of cast him in a very different light because up to this point you know he'd been this very sort of i don't want to say chauvinistic but you know what i mean a bit more a of bit, a, a bit arrogant but charismatic yeah. with it and, and a, a bit more uh, of a clown, I guess, especially because they were supposed to be partners and he was known for getting his old partner killed. And then when he finds out, he's sort of a lot more um, protective over, over Leona, which I thought was a, a shame to have seen that bit go as, as well as the, the later drafts went on. That's why I was mentioning about the morning sickness. You got to see Jerry Lambert say, hey, you know, look, you're looking bad. Let's take care of you. Let's get you home. There was this 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 report and then she didn't want to leave him alone. And you're right. There is some in that script. There was some extra rapport that uh, made it into the shooting script, but not into the uh, the final film. I think also in earlier drafts or in the second draft, we got to learn about two failed relationships that Mike Harrigan had. I don't think they said marriages. They could have been. But Captain Pilgrim was worried about him and Mike Harrigan was kind of like waving him off. We got to see uh, the Predator visit a playground. I think he scanned a, a toy gun twice, right? No, it was it was the once. It was the okay. once. It was the one in the playground. And I tell you guys, though, the, there was a big difference between the 
first draft and the third draft. Now, unfortunately, the first draft is not in public circulation. Neither is the shooting script, but like Aaron said, today on the anniversary or the 30th anniversary of Predator 2, we're going to be releasing the final shooting script on the website. There'll be two versions. One will be the clean shooting script. And then the other one is going to be like a dossier that includes uh, storyboards and production drawings and uh, shooting schedules and stuff like that. So that's going to be a lot of fun. But that will be in circulation. And the only one that's not in circulation is that first draft. But I was able, luckily through a friend who has a copy but doesn't want it to go public, was able to share me some 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 pages. and. And there was an entirely different ending. There were two things that stood out. One was this this taxidermy shop scene and the ending. And the taxidermy shop scene, if you guys remember, when the um, Mike Harrigan is looking at the the head of the deer and looking Just at the bear, bear and stuff in the window, what happens is Mike Harrigan leaves. Okay, and then we go inside the shop, and there's an old man's. Oh yeah. There's an old man stuffing a wolverine, and the door opens, the door closes. The the, the old man looks up and he sees no one there. So he goes, ah, whatever. The predator starts looking through the, the shop, predator, yeah. <laughs> looking at all the stuffed animals, and then he decloaks himself at a lion and starts stroking the lion. And next <laughs> thing you know, someone walks by the window and sees his predator stroking the lion. So he immediately runs from the window inside the door and and calls on the taxidermy shop owner. And he says, there's something there. And he looks again, and the predator's invisible again. It's gone. And the owner looks over and the, the customer from outside the window says, ah, never mind, and leaves the shop. <laughs> and, and that's the end of the scene. But the ending, the ending of the first draft, they never go inside the Predator ship. OK, they still go down oh. that elevator. But the big fight is in the, a boiler room of that large apartment complex. And they're going, you know, mano y mano and, and Harrigan's got the smart disc and the Predator still has the combi stick for a little while. They both fight. They both end up losing the weapons. Mike Harrigan gets shoved up against a boiler and then immediately lifts his body away from it because it's so hot and it's steaming. And then the Predator's standing there with his one arm off bleeding and all he's got is his gauntlet blades. And he's like, I'm going to use this. So he says, come on, come on, don't fuck with me. You know, sorry for the language, but you know, or you want to, you want to F with me? Come attack me come attack me now so the predator charges him and just at the last minute when the um predator strikes with his gauntlets harrigan ducks out of the way the gauntlets strike the boiler and all this hot steam and boiling water flows out burns the predator the predator goes screaming and squealing steam everywhere the steam clears and then the predator is nowhere to be found, but he sees a blood trail leading to the wall and he approaches the wall and puts his hand through it and realizes it's a hologram. It's a fake wall covering a hole that's being projected by a device outside that hole. I think that makes it into the second one as well. Maybe. Okay. The, the holographic wall that is, sorry, not the, um, not the fight. So to make a long story short, he goes to the predator ship and finds the predator dying on the outside. The predator couldn't make it inside the ship. And just about when he's about to do the death blow to the city hunter, Harrigan is approached by the Greyback Elder and all the lost predators outside of the ship. So that was the original ending of the first draft. I kind of missed the whole beheading thing. Yes. Now, you know what? You're right. And I kind of. I think I gotta... that would have been a bit too samurai esque. 
personally. I got to correct this. This is interesting. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen this. In the final shooting script, they included both endings. Let me find a page. Have you ever seen that? Where they don't know what ending to go through. And I guess they're trying to decide and they want to shoot both. Um, they actually called it a alternate. Let me see if I can find it here. Sometimes when they're, they're actually planning to shoot both endings and then decide which one to edit into it. But... Okay, here we go. Two of the aliens carry the dying predator to the grayback. Without hesitation, the dying predator, with the last of his strength, extends his arm in a posture of acceptance, at the same time lifting his head to the grayback, exposing his throat. The grayback fighting knives flash forward. The grayback raising his arm poised. Suddenly, his arm slashes downward, a heavy thud as the predator's head is severed. But then it says, production note, alternate sequence. The dying predator is carried away by his comrades. So it's really curious that it almost makes me believe it's possible that both ways were filmed. It might have also been a budget issue. There might have been Ooh. discussions about do we have the budget for this or that. Or... I, I really liked how they carried him away at the end, but they still gave that respect to Harrigan. I, I think it would have been a bit too, I don't know, off-putting for me if they had done like a samurai-esque beheading thing. I always like that show of respect the Predators have for each other, even in defeat. Kind of like we see in, in AVPR, where there's that little where moment of respect. Yeah. yeah. I, th I think what we got was the better one. I would have really... Uh, you know what? I'm going to try and... I need to remember to ask Wyatt about that, actually. You know, it actually could play off the idea that this was a bad blood. That, yeah, he was young, quote-unquote. He was reckless, quote-unquote. According to Kevin Peter Hall, he was breaking all the rules, quote-unquote. Yeah, that, that was in the interviews on the behind-the-scenes, weren't it? Yeah. And, yeah. it, you know, is it possible that these lost predators came from a different ship to sort of reel him back in because, I mean, he was just going balls to the wall crazy, especially in the subway, right? I realize they're all armed, but uh, it wasn't about trophies anymore. He was just, he, he really felt like a sadistic killer at times. And he was really torturing his prey by, by putting that necklace, Danny's necklace on that tree. He's just, you're doing nothing else but really playing mind games with your, your lion. It just, it really, if you would have included that scene, it would have played into, I think, the fact that maybe, you know, maybe this guy was going outside the rules. I would have really liked to have seen more Torment of Harrigan. I mean, that, that, that was what they were trying to show in the script. I don't think it comes over massively well in the film, in the edit, I must be honest. I think it's a lot better in the book, in yeah. the novel, and, and in the script itself. You know, this idea that he, City Hunter is following and tormenting Harrigan. But I would have liked to have seen it played up so much more in the actual film. Well, Leona says that, um, you know... He's toying with you at some point, yeah. After King Willie dies, it's like anyone, wherever he goes, somebody dies. And he didn't realize King Willie wasn't a friend, per se, even though they were having a conversation. So I, th I thought it was explained pretty well. But uh, I just love, you know what I love and what I miss out of Predators and The Predator is God, man, by the end of the movie, you really feel that it is hell to take down one of these predators. I mean, with the medical kit and he lost his arm and everything else, that the hell your hero has to go through just to take down one of these is so yeah, brutal. That's, that's why the ending we got strikes me as the better one, because those other end, it, it sort of denies the audience seeing the hero slay the dragon, that you wouldn't have got that payoff. You that's get it fair. with this one. 
Even if we get around the plot hole, at least as I see it, I mentioned earlier about the tracking Harrigan thing, I don't think the psychological twang thing would have gelled with what we saw in the first film. Because if if in the first film, if any character was going to be seen as the lion, it would have been Dutch. We never saw the Predator do that kind of stuff with Dutch. There was a deleted scene. Okay. Uh, but I don't think it really. I don't think it really cr- came across very well. But there was there was a deleted scene where a jungle hunter is supposed to be toying. Oh, that one. Yeah, it didn't. Yeah, but th- th- that that was the intent. Yeah, but in terms of like a ha ha ha, I took away your friend sort of thing. The closest you get to that is it coming into the camp and it takes a body away to make a trophy. It doesn't toy with them. It just takes them out one by one. But remember, this one is supposed to be portrayed as being very distinctively different in terms of behavior and stuff like that as well you know it's like you know that this film makes a point of them being individuals you know that's the point of the different armor and stuff like that at the end of it as well they might have certain rules that they play with but they're still individuals and i like that i like my predators when they are sadistic motherfuckers and that is why i would have liked to have seen the the torment played up a bit more with this one but that's just me yeah you never like that honor aspect no i've i've never I like the idea of them having, you know, a, a rule set to play within. Like a sportsmanship code. Like a sportsmanship. But I just find so much of what they do dishonorable, as I think of honor. Yeah. Advanced weaponry, cloaks, stuff like that. It, but that's a whole other argument anyway, isn't it? The deleted scene that you mentioned earlier with, uh, say, deleted, the scripted scene that you mentioned earlier with the, the trophies, the stuffed room. Yeah. Taxidermy. That's the word I'm looking for. My command of the English language is not great. And you mentioned the the, the Predator City Hunter coming in and uncloaking. That was something that I really sort of liked in terms of the evolution from the old, the second and third draft to the final film because the second draft had a lot of the Predator down on the floor walking through everybody cloaked. And I hated that in my head. I absolutely hated the idea. You know, there's a, a scene where he barges past two people on the street and they think each other's bumped into them and they start having a go. <laughs> and I, I, I think that's where the Predator got the candy line in the second draft was, yeah. was from some kids following this. And in my head, I just hated the visuals of him physically down there barging his way past people. That, that, that wasn't the only time it happened. And I'm really glad they got rid of that for the, um, the, the finished film and, and, keeping him more on on the ceilings, keeping him more on the height, because I think it's more imposing in itself is him having this height advantage. Well, it also plays into the whole urban jungle thing because you're using buildings like trees. definitely. And just the visual, because I don't think the cloak effect would have really looked... No. That's the point of it. It works well up to a point, and then once it gets like 10 feet away from you or something, people aren't... Like, the nearest you're going to get is like the kid axe in the graveyard where it says... I saw a ghost. I saw a ghost. And you can see how someone would assume it's... Think they'd seen a ghost, but they would still see it. Mm-hmm. So I'm so glad they took that out. It was just you saying the um, the thing about the taxidermy reminded me of that. The cloaking effect was brilliant in the alleyway with King King Willie. I was just going to say that's the best part when it's got the reflection in the water as well. But even even the walk up to that bit, there's a bit on the Blu-ray where it shows you the um, how they how they did that bit with the uh, water jets. Yeah, and they f- they filmed that on a motion control, and then they filmed the second thing with uh, the suit performer. I don't think it was Kevin, but ha- trying to match it up with the water jets. It's the equivalent of in like in Terminator Two when they had to get Robert Patrick to sync up exactly with the CGI T one thousand. It was a similar sort of special effects age we were coming into there. It's just amazing. 
amazing effect that that wasn't computer. And they say because it was a chemical process, every mm. single time they did it, it would look different. You never knew what the results were going to be. And it's just fascinating, you know, the pre-CG age, you know. And I think um, Stephen Hopkins said this was the first uh, or one of the last non-CG movies, even though technically in the beginning of the movie when you see the... I think he said it was the last chemical effect movie, well, yeah. is what he said. It's, it's of that era, yeah. yeah. I mean, th- again, that King Willie scene is one of those scenes I love and yeah. I remember when I first It's one of the most Im- impressive a... visual scenes in the film in yeah, terms it, of the water reflection and just all that. Just the visuals, I mean, just the way it's choreographed that is one of those scenes i remember rewinding rewinding rewind at least 50 percent of that is how amazingly well that soundtrack piece works there i think that's called truly dread and that music is fantastic choreographed perfectly because it's not even the predator you see it but initially it's a brick or something that, and you don't know if that's the predator toying with its prey or if it's genuinely made a mistake and it thinks fuck it i'm gonna go after him but it's the like the guy who plays king willie it's in his expression he sells it so well and that, he only has like what five minutes on camera if that combined and he plays that character so well but that combined with that whole stomping robocop style through the water but it, it's the equivalent of what happened in the first scene with Anna talking about the demons who make trophies of men and he talks about the other side and you don't see demons until they see you sort of thing it sells it, it sells that mythological weight to the predator and and you get that perfect fake King Willie head where he screams and it has him walking away with the head but he's not running away he doesn't care who sees him he's an arrogant son of a bitch this predator he's just walking away with this head and it switches to that it's still one of the goriest scenes on like a blockbuster film with him actually cleaning that skull I'm sure they probably got into some problems in the rating thing whether or not to include that but that's a whole story in itself isn't it I'm pretty sure Predator 2 actually competed with Alien 3 for a while for having the record of the most swearing or something. But um, Alien 3 and Predator 2, I think they're very adult installments of the franchises. You know, it was funny that Alien 3, Stephen Hopkins said in a Starburst interview that he was up for the directing role, that he was offered it, I think was his exact words. So I wonder what that film would have looked like. Mm, Eric probably wouldn't like it. And he would go on to do uh, Ghost in the Darkness after... Predator 2. Yeah, which, which is I really enjoyed. Um, I just, 24. Just, just, 24 was a good while after that. Just, just, yeah, just, he did, uh, he did um, Lost in Space, I think. He did not. I'm pretty sure he did. Wow. Um, the, mo- the movie. The, my mother, who's yeah, an old she just said behind me, I thought that sequence was really well done too, and she doesn't <laughs> like horror films, but All right. <laughs> I was just thinking about the King Lee sequence. You know, Eric keeps bringing up the score and why everyone's looking everything up. I just want to bring up this uh, CD here. It's a two-disc deluxe edition. Oh, Uh, um, this is the one you want. If you get the single disc, it is butchered. This is why this uh, double. I might have the butchered one. One second. I want to check mine. It is dreadful because not only is there a lot of missing music, but it's cut down, and it's really oh. Yeah, it's really not the experience you're looking for. So this is the one, the deluxe edition, music composed and conducted by Alan Silvestri. Is that a recent release or is that an older release? Uh, 2014. I wonder if it's the same company. Is it? Uh, is it La La Land? Let's see what this is. Really expensive on Amazon. It's almost £30. 
Wow. And that's a used realize as well. I don't just have the Predator so two soundtrack physically. It's one of the few that I don't. I, I think I got it on iTunes, but I need to find a physical copy. You cannot buy it new, apparently. It's no, I'd have to. Facts. I can't pick out the record label, but it's two disc guys. So it's not just one disc. There's two, and um, it's the complete soundtrack, and it's 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 fantastic. So anyone looking to enjoy the score, that's the one you have to chase. But it was limited to three thousand copies. Oh so yeah, it is. Ex- why. It is expensive on Amazon. <laughs> I, I believe it. So damn it. You know, but I. I bet you could probably listen to this on YouTube. Yeah, I'm going to go hunting for that. <laughs> yeah, so, but uh, it is a terrific score. The the original stuff for Predator 2 is fantastic, and it still gets away with using a lot of stuff from, from the first film, I think, as well, which is why I never really minded it in Predators, because it always, you know, some of the tracks always felt like a series thing rather than a Predator. Yeah, well, it, it's the equivalent of um, Brad Fidel's score for Terminator 2. He uses a lot of stuff from the original Terminator, but if you listen to it on its own, it is definitely its own thing. And I think that's the same quality I get with this. I mean, there's definitely unique moments from from Predator 2 as well. Anyway, because like somebody said earlier, you know, it's distinctively more tribal in some some scenes. You know, like the the one in the ship, or or you know, like we we're talking about with with King Willie's death. You know, there's a very distinctively tribal nature in in that particular one. Even just the Segway stuff with the drums when they're going like do 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 do. Yeah, some of those drums were actually performed underwater. I read that, and then they actually created their own instrument. There was this weird sound of like a moaning of a bassoon or something like that and they modified an instrument to actually make this sound so. yeah i know that um around so, the time oh. back to the future two and three were made i remember getting this sort of like annual thing for it and there was a big interview with Sylvester, and he said yeah in the old days we would have done it the full orchestral thing but he had this new and it would have been around this time he said he's got this new it wasn't a synthesizer, but it was like it was like a synthesizer, and you could feed all these different things into it digitally. And you said, "What we do? We take like a coconut doing this, and someone sort of doing this with cat fur, and, and we mix it together, and we get like a sound of a violin." And you, what? But apparently, that must have been what he was sort of working with with Predator Two. I would imagine. Mm-hmm. I always loved the track "Dem Bones," which was as Harrigan's entering the Predator ship, yeah, that, because that. That was what was used as the ambient track for the EVP movie promotional website. So I just remember hearing that track so much (laughs) while I was excited for that film. So one of our listeners actually wrote in to ask everybody a question with this one. Carl Roberts, who's a sort of regular listener to the podcast, and he often writes writes to me after he's listened to things with his, his feedback and suggestions and stuff. And he, he wanted me to ask in this episode was basically, what's your guys' favorite scenes from the film? For Predator 2 specifically. For Predator 2 oh, yeah. specifically. What was yours, Aaron? You see, I I really struggled with this one because like Eric, for me, the highlights of the film are the creature moments and whether that's a simple little moment like him cleaning the skull in the ship and you just get these really close sort of angles on on his mask from below or you know that tight angle on him on his skirt and and his waist as he's carrying uh, king willie's head in or the full sequences of, of actual battles this this is a really hard one for me 
Well, I could say I love first. I love that car scene in the opening movie where he takes the door off and Harrigan's hanging from outside and Danny Glover filmed some of that. And you can tell. And I thought that was a brilliant scene. That's one thing, you know, you don't see in a lot of action films today, creative ideas. And that was creative to get that car in between the uh, Colombians and the Hertz police officers. So I love that scene. I love the medical scene in the bathroom of the apartment when the predator is repairing himself and you see the medical kit and everything is in that blue lights and he's using the mirror for the silica and he's he's creating some sort of epoxy to you know to heal his wounds and then he puts in that syringe i guess to um i think that must have been adrenaline to keep him going because he was struggling a lot by that point and then after that it, it perked up yeah, even in the battle on the ship, he sort of strikes Harrigan and then he has this moment of weakness. He goes, <coughs> <sort> of. <laughs> Yeah, uh, what else do I love? I love the King Willie scene in the alley, not just King Willie and the approach of the Predator, but the dialogue between King Willie and Harrigan and the, the ambient sounds and the music. And I think it's just such a thrilling scene. And then, of course, everything on that lost Predator ship, you know, uh. it's just, I mean, how could you just not love that from soup to nuts you know when he's calming on board till the point he uh gets the flintlock and gets off the ship you know so i think those are my favorite scenes pretty much other than that it's got to be that quick smart disc throw i love how that you know that disc could have been thrown on its own between the meat and we could have seen you know or been inferred that peter key's head was decapitated by it but no they went it all and they showed how deadly this was these frozen blocks of beef and it cut through the beef and it cut through keys it was in slow motion it was fantastic i just love that scene there was a bit in the second draft where it talks specifically about the disc being and i love this being the ancient predator weapon you know that was the defining weapon of the predator culture it's their version of a battle <laughs> yeah and and it's a really cool fucking thing and you never see it again in any of the no. films it's it's like yeah. a molecular chainsaw it's it's a really neat concept mm. and it's controlled via their uh biomask you know they have some way to call it back to them so well, he didn't it's... have the biomask on at that point did he no he no didn't. He didn't. oh, oh yeah. all right that's, no, that's why I, I've always taken issue with people calling it a smart dish. I think it's like the shurikens. They just throw it and they're just really skilled at catching it. But um, you know that, That's a good point because the Stan Winston on their website, they said it was controlled by the Predator. And here yeah. I go saying it's by the biomass. And how could that have been controlled? Well, it's, it's yeah, I mean, it, the games took that idea and they had it that it's controlled with a laser thing. But in the actual film, it's just. Uh, basically a frisbee with a chainsaw well isn't there like tends to be some sort of theories that there's some you know mental connection between the predator and his own technology anyway you know in terms of like controlling the mask and well no because you see you deliberately see him that's my favorite scene in predator 2 is the moment that he realizes that you know the owlf team's in there and kevin's movement as he you know gets under that thing or uh, the 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 banister, you know, to crouch down and starts yeah. going through everything. And and then that the, the wiping out of that particular team, you know, when he jumps down. I think that whole sequence from him realizing to killing everybody before Danny runs in, I think I think would be my favourite. Yeah. Turning the tables. Yeah. But what was I saying? Oh, mental component. So there is some sort of theory in terms the of neuro- being... a neurological yeah. look, but yeah. could could be that. So what about you, Eric? Oh, I'd have to say El Scorpio. Um that <laughs> Oh, with well, the El cocaine? Scorpio is ready. <laughs> ready. Um, 
our good old El Scorpio. He he is a fun character. <laughs> now, I'd, I'd probably say my the best one just because of the choreography is that whole King Willie death sequence, right? Because even it has those nice little biblical quotes that King Willie as he says is his last words. It's just so well done. And probably up to where he is in the slaughterhouse turning the tables because it does have that. Even when there's no combat, it just has that really nice sort of like you. the camera pulls out and it goes down below the Predator and you see the Predator sort of like squat and you, you hear the music go and you feel it. You just feel there's this shift in the dynamics. The hunter is now the hunted sort of thing. And he has this really nice sort of, he just sort of like leans in. and It's like a hawk just looking and because he knows something's up. And it just has that really nice sort of finger motions that you, you can see Ian White copied for Requiem when he's he's sort of like stroking the dead predator's helmet and stuff. But it's the same sort of thing when he's using his, the fingers to operate the gauntlet thing to change the vision stuff but yeah i'd probably as my favorite one it'd probably be king willie and the actual reveal of the skull trophy but a lot of the trophy wall stuff used to do with the music that accompanies it can i say that kevin peter hall was just brilliant in his film in both films i mean mm. he he is the standard bearer the way he you know he, he studied a lot of african dance and different types of um, gymnastics and movement and the way he moves with this predator it doesn't feel like a human gait it doesn't feel like there's a human no. in a suit he's brilliant in it he it, sells it just by walking along yeah. just by hanging around it feels like an inhuman mentality and we really haven't given him enough props in this episode all so no, far it's it's such a shame that he passed way before his time just because of something as as trivial as a blood transfusion yeah, but what a legacy to leave behind as a performer like he says in some of these magazine interviews he just says the best thing about it like he he saw arnold and danny as like his heroes growing up sort of thing but he said one of the great things about this is that the star of the show is the predator like he fully realized it wasn't like some of the actors in jaws where they realized wait a minute i was meant to i'm headlining this and the, the big draw about this thing is the shark he realized he is the audience never see his actual face, but he realized he's inhabiting the character that people are going to this as the draw for. And I'm sure even back in 87, people went to see it for Arnold, but they kind of stayed for the Predator. They stayed for Kevin. Yeah. We we have fortunately just immoralized. You know, he, he did Bigfoot like in Harry and the Hendersons. Yeah. That doesn't really I'm sure any- I'm sure he would have gone on to play more Predators, and it is it is a shame that he passed as young as he did. It really is. But yeah, his performance has has immortalized him as probably one of the best creature performers of, of all time i would say um he, we and, probably have to say he's probably in a weird way going to be remembered as the most famous mime artist of all time in a way well he's definitely going to be remembered and that's what's terrible. great about this franchise is he's going to live on through these through these movies and uh such a brilliant man and you know i looked at the um predator 2 premiere photos recently and uh, i saw him with his wife and his kids and it's really heartbreaking that it wasn't too long after predator 2's release that he passed away i think less than a year and yeah. you're you're right adam it was a shame that you know here he has a blood transfusion and uh you know i had a friend myself during those times aids was a scary thing and he was a hemophiliac and um he had a blood transfusion and they weren't testing for hiv at that time and he ended up dying you know 
know, at a young age of 14. So it was a rough time back then. But uh, fortunately for, for Kevin Peters Hall, uh, Peter Hall's family is that he will always be loved and remembered because of these two movies and because of the great job he, he did in them. I think Kevin's son actually did one of those um, showdown fan film kind of things. Was it where he's versus Wolverine and it's Kevin's son inside the Predator suit? Oh, Was he? I did not know that. Wow. I'm sure it is. I'll have to check that out. I've seen the short. I just never knew that was his son. That's really cool. For me, there was a few of them. I really like the the penthouse scene that that starts with the wild sex. But Ah, (laughs) once... Can I say... Can I say... (laughs) He's a little crazy. Maybe this won't stay, but Adam does this great job of reproducing the sounds... In that sex scene, and I was, on a on a few on a few drunk nights playing hunting grounds. Yeah, we have reenacted that scene a few times. It is brilliant. It, it is a drop the mic moment. I want to hear this. <laughs> Maybe off the podcast. <laughs> but um, Sorry. go ahead. Like movie that scene moves from that opening to this crazy scene where they're gonna sacrifice this rival gang member to the predator coming in and and fucking up their whole party and just slaughtering all of them with some of these new weapons. And the the penthouse is just so cool looking. It has like this Aztec kind of design about it. And and you have the big windows there and you see the downtown LA skyline out the windows and the palm trees. And you get to see it again when they investigate the the aftermath. But uh, it was just such a fucking cool looking apartment, man. And just the predator coming in there and taking them all out. And that was the first glimpse we saw of the city hunter in the film. So I, I do like that. That scene it was a bit weird when he nets the guy and then they start shooting like their own yeah. gang member i'm I, like I what's going on there drugs at that point maybe it's an editing thing or i think he was dead anyway based on the self-tightening net it just ripped through his skin i think you saw that in some of the supplementals you get to see the extended version of the net actually going yeah you you really see it in the in the dummy yeah um, that they constructed for that but uh, uh, it is a another- brilliant scene Another scene for me, of course, is the ship scene where Harrigan finds the spaceship and goes inside the ship and sees the trophy wall and they have the final battle in there. That was such a strong scene. And then when the Lost Tribe shows up, like that was one of the best scenes of this movie for me, for sure. I lied. It wasn't his son. It was his nephew that was in Uh, the uh, Predator uh, suit. Still still a familial relation. Was there someone who, along those lines, he was playing the alien or predator in that very old Batman versus alien predator fan film? I know they used the original costume because they had access to the Stan Winston stuff. That was called Batman Dead End. Yeah, I know Walter Koenig's son, who unfortunately committed suicide at some point after that, played the Joker. Yeah, that's right. Andrew, Andrew Koenig. Yeah. I don't know if the creature performers were anyone related. Jake McKinnon played the alien. No idea who he is. Um, known for his work on Transformers and the House of a Thousand Corpses. Okay. Did he? Who did he play in the House of a Thousand Corpses? Corpses? Does it say? Was he Doctor Satan? The Professor. And the predators were Dragon Dronette and Patrick McGee. Okay. Oh, who worked on AVP actually as, in go. the special effects department. Oh, so they went from that into the special... Maybe they were under Winston's tutelage then, back then. Uh, well, it was Sandy. What's his face who did it, weren't it? Um, Kala- Sandy Kalara? Kalara, yeah. yeah. And I think and, and he worked on Predator 2 in concept art, if I remember ah, rightly. So there's a link to Predator 2 itself. 
What was the Predator suit in that? Was that the original one or was that the Predator 2 suit? Well, they made their own, didn't they? Because it was red and wasp and... Okay. Yeah, I don't know if it's an albino. Holds. Yeah. There's probably a whole story in, in that in that fan film itself. Yeah. That's um... Some listeners might, might not be familiar, but just in case they're curious as to why the Predators on the ship were called the Lost Tribe, it's because the costumes were unfortunately stolen during production. So they got literally lost people taking those suits man just like avpr they snatched up that alien suit like we've never fuck? found out <laughs> they not only stole the suits but they stole the alien skull and you guys can i can share the link you guys can still go online i think it's the uh, the los angeles police department has a stolen art section of their uh, unsolved crimes and the link is still there it's still an unsolved crime and there's a picture of the skull the dimensions and everything else about it and if you have any information to call this number so someone probably listening to this podcast still has it return that those, damn thing. those la I criminals man report. lighting the space jockey on fire and stealing the predator suits <laughs> yeah like, <laughs> when when we um, when we interviewed wyatt weed he talked about being with steve wang when they saw somebody walking down one of the LA streets with one of the Boss Films original oh. Predator arms. Hmm. Wow. wow. This stuff just, this just gets taken. I mean, well, some of the suits were remained like were, they were not all stolen because I remember at a Planet Hollywood I went to, AJ, they had it was either the boar head with the dreadlocks and, and biomask or it was Brother Boar, but it was one of those two. Well, some of the suits have surfaced and some of them actually went on sale in public auction. And it's funny, some of them I had posted in, in the forum as they were mixed and matched. You know, they took the city hunter's head to the, the Borg's body, you know, wow. something like that. Yeah. So those came up and those actually still aren't on the Los Angeles Police Department website. But that freaking Xenomorph skull is. Well, go on then. Let's talk about let's talk about the skull now then, because that was such a huge moment. Such a small moment, but had such a huge impact yeah. as well because of, you know, how popular the comics were. Comic, oh, sorry, I should say. And, you know, the the desire for this big screen clash. So, you know, so that thing sent ripples. Even when I was a, a wee lad um, watching it on VHS for the first time, being so much closer to that actually being a reality, that was still a, oh, shit. Yeah kind of thing to actually see up for a while that became the thing that fandom was like yeah watch it for that scene that was the thing to watch it for then we got the first avp game a few years later in 93 with the super nintendo aliens versus predator but yeah the comic the first comic was popular at the time and i think that was what made them pay homage to it right well, well this this is another one of those um arnie being in Predator 2, um, why Jean-Claude Van Damme left Predator kind of moments because there's quite a few stories of whose idea it was, why they did it and stuff like that. So uh, Eric has one fresh on the mind from the commentary. Yes. One of the commentaries. Is this Stephen Hopkins or is this um, Jim and John? This is Jim Thomas, apparently, because for people who might not be aware of this, uh, for the longest time, I think back in either late 90s or early 2000s, uh, there was like a united front of fandom who decided this was just done for an in-joke. And I was one of those who said, well, no, because it's it, there's nothing about it that's in-jokey and the camera lingers on it. It doesn't, it feels serious. And then a few years later, a lot of fans decided, well, it was because of the comic. And that has been the logic up to now. And I found a quote, which I'd forgotten about that was in the Predator 2 commentary 
Now, I remember thinking the publishing dates for the comic were a little off because I do remember there being an interview with the people behind the AVP comic who said that they didn't know what Predator 2 was going to do, so they had to be careful about the equipment they gave the Predators, etc. Now, this quote says, um, It gave birth to the Alien vs. Predator comic, reveals Jim Thomas in the same Predator 2 commentary. They're from two completely different time periods. Aliens are far in the future, while this is barely in the future. And it was something that we just dreamed up while we were standing around on the set seeing the trophy case and saying, you know, we ought to see an alien skull in there. Since Fox owned it, it was pretty easy to do. So I think that's kind of once and for all a pretty black and white recollection that it was definitely not influenced by the comic. It was definitely not intending to be an in-joke. That can't be true. I I have something even more to muddy the waters. Okay. Okay. This is what's difficult about predator 2 because i just before you say it, i will not i've seen a, a stan winston interview and he says that he didn't remember who came up with it well i think john rosen grant credits it to stan and i think stephen credited it to stan yes he did now in the dvd supplementals okay stephen hopkins said it was stan's idea but hold hold on to that thought but in 1991, in Starburst magazine, Stephen Hopkins said the skull was his idea. And Stephen Hopkins, in August, was drawing storyboards. And he drew this storyboard. I don't know if you guys can see the bottom here. In August. Oh. Yeah, with the inner mouth. Yeah, the with a xenomorph on the trophy wall. When did you say? August 1990? Yes. Now, Stan Winston didn't join the team until December of 19... No, not 1990. 1989. August 1989, he did the storyboard. I thought that would have been before the comics. And Stan Winston joined the team in December. So I have... In the interview, Stephen said it was his idea. Here's a storyboard by Stephen that has it. So then the question is, whose idea was it? Because we know... We know for a fact that the Thomas brothers also met with Dark Horse, okay? And did the Thomas brothers suggest this to Stephen Hopkins? Well, Stephen Hopkins says it was his idea. I don't know. I don't know. Well, in, in that quote, they said they were standing looking at the trophy case. Oh, I assume that was well after Winston had joined. Yes. Or it might have been Hopkins might have mentioned it to them and they didn't consciously pick up on it or they might have seen that storyboard and they'd forgotten about it and then it, it's like resurfed and they say, hey, you know what we should have? We should have an alien skull when Hopkins had already maybe done it anyway. But Stan Winston himself, he said, you know, I'm often asked about this and you know what? I don't have any idea. I like to say it's my idea, but the truth is I have I do not remember who it was. Well, we so. can't really trust uh, Stan Winston anyway in that regard because he said the mandible idea was James Cameron, and we've later learned that his production art that predates uh, Stan Winston's involvement with Predator, the 1987 film uh, with creatures with mandibles. So it seems like everyone has a fuzzy memory, and Stephen Hopkins doesn't help yeah. when he says in this documentary with Stan Winston's idea. So I, I can definitely say the storyboard predates Stan Winston, predates their involvement, and then it becomes a question of, did everyone have the ideas at the well, same time? Well, it's just occurred to me, what, 
Winston might not have joined, but could it have been that he was contracted or that Hopkins was having telephone conversations with him? And that Anything is possible. Been, yeah, it might I've been, been trying to that. work on an article about this, and I can't seem to get to the concrete answer. I have all these leads, but uh, it, it, it almost feels like we were just missing a, a bit of information. But I do trust this 1991 interview. Why yeah. would he lie back then? And I do trust his storyboard. Stephen Hopkins did start out as a comic book artist. Mm. And then he became a um, art designer for Highlander. It, his, oh, friend nice. actually, his friend actually directed Highlander. And then his friend quickly moved them to second unit director. And that was his progression. But he originally was an artist. So I don't know. AVP might be Stephen's idea. Well, it's, it's definitely not an in-joke. We can verify that much. Yeah. I mean, that that storyboard predates the comic because that wasn't until June of the next year of 1990. So, what, during principal photography? No, wasn't that Dark Horse Presents in February 1990 or am I too early? I think Dark Horse Presents was... Maybe I'm wrong. No, uh, no, they did a... How does that work? The contents of the second issue, which were actually issue zero. So one came first, then they did issue zero, which was in... Dark Horse Presents, but that's... I don't know if Xenopedia's got this wrong here, because Xenopedia are saying that Issue Zero came out in Dark Horse Presents from November of 1989 to January of 1990, but the first issue came out in June of 1990. Here's Xenopedia. It says, uh, let's see... Dark Horse Comics brings together titular creatures from the popular 20th century studios science fiction film franchises Alien and Predator. The comic book line is in fact where the entire Alien vs. Predator franchise originated, being the medium that brought the two species together. The line has included a number of limited series, one-shots, and short stories, starting with the original Alien vs. Predator story in Dark Horse Presents number 36 in February 1990. So I don't know. 36 would have been the last one of the run. But I think that the run originally had Predator on its own, Alien on its own. It wasn't until they were combined, right? Uh, or am I remembering incorrectly? My- oh, no, no. There, there, there was an Alien series in 89, 88. I can't remember when the first series came out. And then you had Predator on its own. So they, they were doing them both separately before they... There was a three... Yeah. A three-part story that was published in an anthology series, Dark Horse Presents, Volume 1, Issue 34 to 36, from November 1989 to January 1990. The final of these three issues was the first official media to feature the title Alien vs. Predator, on top of uh, the first ever piece of Alien vs. Predator artwork. The three-part story subsequently, sequently, can't even speak, acted as a prequel, and the line was launched proper with a four-issue limited series published in 1990 and written by Randy Stradley. Well, regardless, I think, you know, but obviously, look, something comes out in February 1990. Say that was the debut. I mean, it it wasn't created in February 1990. You have to put the story together. You have to put the artwork together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's it's really odd when this first started. And I don't think we're going to come to a conclusive answer today or maybe ever. Oh God, no! Memories of memories are too far gone at this point. It, as I said, if nothing else, it does prove it wasn't intended as a humorous in joke. But it, it also goes to prove how labyrinthine these things, because it is a detective story in itself, and we still haven't got a definitive thing. When when you say in joke, though, I mean I think Easter egg is still a fair 
yeah, I don't but think it was. That's d- not when the people say in joke, they mean like as as a gag. You say, "Oh, it's an alien!" Ha <laughs> ha! It's not as a like a cameo, which I think this would be a an Easter egg cameo. Well, it certainly doesn't feel like a throwaway, and it feels like mm-hmm. a precursor because yeah, the camera yeah. just lingers on it. It doesn't just go past a blink and you'll it lingers on it. You're meant to take in this isn't like we at Fox have spent money making an alien head. Look at it, yeah. please, because we want to get our money's worth. <laughs> what can I say? Can I take you guys back to 1990 and in that theater when people saw that skull up there? The theater went wild. There was a lot of noise and reaction to it, and they were really excited. Do you remember that from your own view? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And I, I, I smiled like ear to ear when I saw that. So it was a big crowd reaction. There's not much I remember from that first viewing, but that was one of them. That was pretty substantial, you know? And how could it not be? Because this op- opened the doors to just possibilities, you know? Something that feels so... As soon as that happened, I do remember that sort of kick-started a lot of versus projects. Unfortunately, they went into production hell for absolutely ages. Eventually, you got Freddy versus Jason, but that was intended to happen through many... Interestingly, people. Peter Briggs, who wrote the first would-be AVP film script, he went on to do one of the initial Freddy vs. Jason scripts, which was really, really horror serious in tone. But it kick-started a lot. They were going to do a Hellraiser versus Freddy versus Jason, but that the right situation was all up in the air. But it did kick-start a lot of these versus projects in Hollywood. To be fair, couldn't couldn't couldn't? Well, I suppose you just said Hollywood. I was going to say, couldn't you really credit Godzilla for that kind of? Um... Yeah, I mean. That's that's the old sort of thing. But in terms of like a, a blockbuster attempt at doing crossovers, it, Predator 2, kind of, it, although it was a cameo, it was still a sort of like an acknowledgement. Although I think one of the Jason films had Freddy's hand. Yeah, there was the moves yeah. to hell, was it? I think the Universal Monsters really kicked off the verses. Frankenstein through his Yeah, but they were more literary crossovers. I'm talking in terms of Hollywood properties. No, no, this was this was Hollywood films. You'll see some verses. This was the first cohesive universe at one time. The Universal Monster Universe, and these were black and white. Yeah, but Frankenstein and Dracula they came from novels. Is what I'm saying. Oh, I see. Yeah, and the Peter Briggs script was literally the year after as well. Mm -hmm. It it was 1991. So yeah. And just like Predator 2 paid homage to AVP, eventually uh, the AVP game by Rebellion would pay homage to Predator 2. If you remember, well, of course you remember the the Predator 2 maps in, in AVP. They had downtown Los Angeles and you could go down. I remember we would always camp in the subway waiting for the aliens to, to find us down there. They also had the Slaughterhouse map uh-huh. from Predator 2. With the van as well. Yeah. The, the command van. Yeah, yeah, I have vague memories about that. I didn't really play much classic multiplayer um, yeah we, multi- we played less of that than than two from what i remember it was peer-to-peer back then so it, i think i don't know if we had a few big uh, games set up i think even back then i think we had gotten into avp2 so much that we went back and played more multiplayer of the first one at the time possibly yeah anyway does anybody have any other points about predator 2 to bring up or anything specific to talk i about hope we get film? that book the archive, because maybe that'll have yeah. some more information. That was supposed oh, to be out nice. next month. Wasn't we it going to say that in Titan? Predator 2, they were aquatic predators and stuff like that drawn up? I think that's something Sandy spoke about. But I've always been curious which draft of the script was meant to have had 
underwater scenes if they were done in concept art. I've never seen that. Not for Predator 2. I mean, granted, the only thing, the only script I haven't seen is the first draft, the entirety, only just pages of it. But, I mean, unless uh, that, it was meant to be like a brief flashback to the, to an alien planet or something, but I've, I've never heard of it being in any of the scripts. It's possible. They went over different ideas, especially when they were going to have Dutch come in, you know, in the sequel. Yeah. You know, they were going to find the uh, the gauntlet in the rubble of where the jungle hunter exploded himself. Another predator was going to recover that and look at the yeah. footage and then start hunting Dutch. Hunting and so Dutch, maybe, it was, yeah. maybe it was in pre this story you know, pre-script phase when they were just shooting ideas around and maybe there's some concept art, you know, lying around. But either way, I love the way the film came out. I'm super excited that it's 30 years and uh, I'm going to celebrate. And like I said, it's not just this podcast is coming out. We have a lot of stuff coming out on avpgalaxy.net, including the uh, the shooting script and a shooting script with supplementals. I also actually uh, created a fan comic that sort of carries over the events of Mike Harrigan uh, a couple of years after the events of Predator 2 which might be fun for some to check out. I think we're going to put that up on the website too. And a lot of a lot of fan goodies available today as you're listening to this podcast. So make sure you go to the website and check it out. Indeed. And, and if anybody listening knows how to get in touch with Jim and John Thomas, <laughs> please, please hook us up. I just want to know about all these other ideas for Predator 2 and, and Predator 3. We'll just love yeah. it, please. So they, they were thinking about Predator 3 before it, Kind of went on hiatus yeah. well, for a bit. They, they were apparently offered. And they said that they found out the director's chair for Predator 3. People as well. mm. Yeah, yeah I, I never took that seriously. Do you think we ever really got Predator 3 or was, was Predators no. more of no. a soft reboot? It was a soft reboot while still being a sequel. But no, I mean, we're, we're, we still missed out on things like, was it Sam Parks? Uh, pitch where um it was dutch in the middle of a in the middle of new york in the middle of a snowstorm yeah i I tried to reach out to him as well actually but never never heard anything back from him can you imagine arnold's face reading that script though saying they want me to reprise dr freeze mr freeze again (laughs) (laughs) i feels like feels like the owlf tapes or predator 3 oh you know what? I do have a point I wanted to bring up. It's a little thing, but it made me both eye roll and chuckle at the same time. What would this be? OWLF, secret organization, you know, researching aliens and stuff like that. And it makes me chuckle about it in Halo as well. Secret organization rocks up with a tie with their special logo on. <laughs> They've got polos yeah. with a special logo on. Isn't it that a pin happened. he has on the tie? It's a little pin he has. No, I thought it looked embroidered I, on I the... I want um, to point this out, actually, because, you know, Earlier I said I'd watch my Blu-ray of Predator 2 for the first time. I noticed something I've never noticed before. Right at the end of it, you know, Harrigan's all covered in the debris and stuff, and he and Garber comes up to him saying, oh, what the fuck happened, man? And he's got a, like this triangular logo thing on his shirt, which is clearly the OWLF. Now, earlier in the film, I thought, I wonder if anyone's going to have that logo on later on, because I noticed when Harrigan just randomly goes up to Keys and shoves him against a wall, like a public police building type thing, and he said, you know, these Keys killed my partner, I'm going to go after him. Keys has the OWLF logo on his tie, and it's like <laughs> this government department that's all super secret has gone, running out of budget, guys. You know what we need to do? Merchandising. He's <laughs> <laughs> just, he's like meant to be secret. Hey, they, they take pride in their organization. They like to have a little bit of secret bling that, you know, 
<laughs> Another thing that I thought about as well when we're watching it was how quickly they show up to the slaughterhouse. Uh, not the slaughterhouse. The um, the drug shootout. The first one. Yeah. The first one. But they've been tracking it. I think that there've been some other bits uh, bits of the city hunter having fun. Yeah. Because it always it always struck me as odd because there's nothing distinctively predator about what they well, hear if you, about. If you look in the part where they it's about to come into the slaughterhouse, they have that map and it says, "Sir, we're tracking it. It's coming in." And you see it on this map of the city. So they and it, I think it's yeah pheromone tracking. So they've been, and and um, Bill Paxton's character, Jerry, he mentions, oh, they've been setting up these weird Certain radar scanners. things all yeah. over the city. So they, they are aware it's in the city somehow. So that's something I'd actually like to see something in the EU potentially do. Maybe something for, you know, if it bleeds to, if we ever get it. Something from Key's point of view, mm. pre, pre-Danny Glover's involvement. Yeah. Well, Harrig, Harrigan's involvement. I do that so much with the with the Predator side of things. You know, the actor being synonymous with the film rather than... Yeah. Anyway. Can I just raise an interesting question regarding sequels specifically? Usually they they change something. They make, as Adam was saying earlier, they try to make it bigger and better and that. Now, very, very noticeably, they did change not just the mask and that. They actually changed the Predator's whole sort of head and the jaws. They put a lot of spiked stuff. Yeah. They made the, the fangs much more obvious. Now, to me, it was a case where, like with Aliens compared to Alien, I liked the ridge-headed designs more. With Predator 2, although I've got issues with the narrative structure and stuff, I loved, I felt this design that Stan Winston did, I felt this was superior to the one in the original Predator film. Well, you, you see what both the films yeah with grayback yeah but i mean in terms of this as an evolution of the design in the first predator film what do you think of do you think it's inferior indifferent or do you think it's like me i think it was a better design in predator 2 I think it's superior myself. Um, I thought, yeah, Adam's right. They did use the original Jungle Hunter mold for the Elder Greyback Predator. They did add some facial applications to him. They added some spikes and little bumps and shine of age. They split his tusk to show another sign of age, like uh, tooth decay would. And they they grayed up his, um, his dreads. But uh, it was the original mold mold but i just prefer the city hunter and you know this often is a big debate on the forums you know what do you like better the jungle hunter or the city hunter and it seems to break pretty evenly um maybe the jungle hunter by a um a hair because it's just cherished you know just like the movie is but it was wonderful you know they uh, stan winston had a lot more time to work on this suit even the even the technology as well what about the rest of the unmasked lost tribe was that all the predator to city hunter uh molds like, yeah, they, like shaman, they, like snake. Because I know Greyback was reused P1. but they, they said that's the reason why they, um, in Stan Winston's book, I believe it was, they said that's the reason why they didn't put any of the armor on the city hunter's body because they wanted to reuse the body to create the other lost predators. And then they could put different sets of armor and different sets of jewelry on them and make them look different versus the jungle hunter that had the armor pretty much built into the suit. 
But I love the improvements to the face, you know, the articulated gullets, the, yeah. lip, move, the lip movement, the ability to make facial expressions, and even the armor not being attached to the suit like the Jungle Hunter. It, it looked more authentic. And uh, for me, and the paint scheme, I just love it all. But you know what? It's like chocolate and vanilla. I mean, they're both ice cream. They're yeah. both wonderful, you know? No, it you, just seems like different physical variations of, of the same creature. And it was cool to see the, the Predator 1 mask on Scout in the end as well because we had he's kind of wearing the the city hunter armor but you still get to see that predator one classic mask again so yeah no i've often said it might be that instead of putting human breasts on them it might have been that those obvious differences that might be the difference between one is male and one is female they don't have to be different species i also like that sort of sort of zigzagging head pattern they gave this the city hunter on on the sort of above the dreadlocks part i thought that was interesting as well i i think i prefer jungle hunters paint scheme right because as, as we've made clear i have a thing about tan <laughs> <laughs> but i really like the um city hunters ridged and i like the technical um developments in terms of the mask and stuff like that you know like you were saying aj with the uh, the gullet and the, and the inner mouth moving the tusks on the bottom are new as well aren't they yeah yeah and i like those as well so Maybe Jungle Hunter's paint scheme on City Hunter's um, City Hunter's body. Could be interesting. But then again, I like the copper of of, jung- of City Hunter's armor. Where are you going, Aaron? Where you, what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know this stuff. But the one thing I can tell you that I absolutely fucking love is the fact that we got the goat mask at the end with the Lost Tribe. Yeah, love seeing that. I love that it actually got to be on screen and talk about you know making sure um, making the most of your resources as well well that's everything from us hope you've enjoyed listening to uh, our predator 2 retrospective you know again it's one of those films that i don't think we've ever really spoke about in too great a depth on the podcast just because you know we're dealing with generally what's coming out at the time so stuff to do with the films tends to be tangents i guess in in terms of how they relate to some of the newer stuff oh aaron we're gonna we'll continue our thing of showing our shirts right yes yes we're still gonna do that we're still gonna do that adam it's fine it's fine as AJ has mentioned, you know, plenty of goodies out today. Please check them out. Please leave feedback, you know, um, creatives. And I, I speak, you know, from as a <laughs> creative in terms of, you know, um, content creator, I guess. You know, it, it's always nice to hear back feedback about what we're doing. And I always appreciate it with people writing in about the podcast. So please give AJ that courtesy as well with, with the comic as well that he's, he's put out. AJ has become our resident Predator 2 expert. Thinks he's corrected me on. Like, I thought the subway was never a built set. I thought they had always felt that, uh, filmed that in the uh, Northern California subway system, which they did it's for some of the B roll stuff, but the interiors of the train and some of the exterior shots were built set. So, I would have had to have been, yeah. Yeah. Well, everyone's an expert in something. So, <laughs> well, and there's yeah, so I much would... we could keep talking about, like the production yeah. design that made me just think of the production design of the movie. Like, Predator 2 is, is just awesome. And it's, uh, I'm glad it's achieved cult status. And we should really do a commentary on it guys we should just watch it together we're gonna do a commentary on all of them it's just getting over the hump of prepping and for the predator Because we made the foolish decision to start with the worst and work our way up to the um, the best. I will say, um, Predator Two does deserve some kudos for all that. Although it's it's fun to mock it a little bit for being in the far futuristic world of 1997, it did get some things right, like the televisions on the subway that was seen as a oh that's too weird and wacky. And I remember things saying. Mm-hmm. 
they were actually planning to put televisions in the subway thing in LA and they were scheduled for 1997. So it actually... And and LA eventually did get more expansive metro system. I mean, most of it is above ground, but there are a number of subway segments and subway stations. So kind of got the prediction right. And it got those reporters that are sort of Jerry Springer-like. Well, they're in your face. Well, wasn't... Oh, no, come on. I don't want to lead us off onto another tangent. I need Voodoo. No, Voodoo has to go for dinner. Nothing else for you here, podcaster. Time to go. (laughs) So, um, before we just give all the the social outlets a shout, Adam and I will do show and tell with um, with the shirts. Since we're the only ones being themey lately, I don't know what Eric and bloody AJ's excuse. Hey, I showed you my, my, my knife. And my bottle opener. True, very true. So for me, it is a nice silhouetted predator clinging to a tree. Very nice. Yeah, and that That's was available a on our T Public page. Yep. And Adam. Uh, for me, I got this at a comic shop called Things from Another World. They have one at Universal City Walk as well. I believe in Portland, Oregon. They do a lot of collab stuff with Dark Horse. But this is just kind of a comic-themed Predator shirt here. It's the big Remember game that, cover, I think. That comic cover, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's big I, game. You know, I have not seen Predator 2 shirts around, so I need to find one. There are some on eBay. <laughs> so I don't think they're authorized per se, but there are some on eBay. Plus, you can also get those um, the ones actually from 1990, and those are expensive. I bet the, the promo. I bet they'd be the promo yeah. ones, wouldn't they? Yeah. Uh, one last thing we forgot to mention, Predator 2, poster design on point with those posters, yep. man. Yep, making most of that, um, the sky skyscraper dangling over the edge thing. Even that one with him looking Fantastic. down from the eastern building, too. Like, well, it yeah, is that, yeah. The one on the video was the electric lightning storm. Yeah. Sorry, AJ. Yeah. <laughs> Keep bringing it up, AJ's like, like, I've got food to, to go get! Shout out, because I love those those designs. Well, anyway, thank you everybody for listening or watching, depending on where you're, um, you know, you're viewing this. As always, if you want to interact with us more, the hub of our activity is on avpgalaxy.net. There is message boards. You can sign up, come and join in with the the rest of the Alien and Predator nerds. Um, Leave us your comments on on the podcast and join in with the rest of the discussion. If you want to email us, we have an address which is podcast at avpgalaxy.net. We always love to hear back from people. It's, It's nice to know that people are are listening and uh, enjoying or criticizing if, if you've got anything to criticize about other socials are you know the normal ones twitter facebook instagram alien versus predator galaxy versus as in vs dot or avp galaxy and of course if you are listening to this not watching it we do have a youtube channel as well where we post uh, videos of some of the editorial pieces well all of the editorial pieces that i tend to do now video versions of the podcast let's plays we're going to try and do some sort of like video discussion on the news that's coming out rather than uh, reading the news articles, basically. Like a mini podcast, I guess. We're going to try and start doing that going forward, though. It is a little bit quiet at the minute, so I'm not sure how well that will take off. But yeah, that is it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This has been Corporal Hicks. And Ridge Top. Voodoo Magic. Xenomorphine. Get into the chopper. <laughs>